Lower Your Volume contains sometimes graphic and often explicit content. That being said, some episodes are not for everybody, so listener discretion is advised. And as always, spoilers ahead. podcast where we chat about books and talk way too loudly i feel like i said lower your volume today in a peppier way than i usually do you did and i was like yeah yeah we're lower your volume Uh. (laughs) i agree i have also heard that yeah that's us i Um, I think that's our name so today's a little different (laughs) it won't necessarily seem different to you the listener define different (laughs) different (laughs) means that we already recorded this episode. I love Four it. Four hours of it. I <laughs> A love really it. good episode. Yeah. And then my computer said, away with it. Away with Be you. Be gone, foul beast. Yeah. And if there was and, ever uh, a reason for you to donate to our Patreon, it's so that we can get Madison a new laptop. I need a new laptop. I need a new external hard drive. All of my stuff is failing me. Every single piece of equipment I own. Yeah. Except so. for my mic. The mic is forever. We'll talk about the Patreon at the end of the episode. Mm-hmm. Um, please stick around for that because it's super important. The fun part about today is we're recording this in two parts. So do you guys, yes. it's not going to look like on anything purpose. fucking happened. On purpose. Oh yeah, we're doing this on purpose because <laughs> yeah. it's late at night right it's now on a busy. work night for me. Yeah, not me because, you know, I'm unemployed right now. Right. Uh, and so I have to do this in two parts, which is not the end of the world. The only downside to us recording it like this, you guys, is that I've already heard the cool My stuff book. about Madison's and book. And your reactions were so good. I know. And I actually just deleted the audio file, too, from before. I so, know. like, now I have nothing. Like, I don't even know what I said. Um, it's great. We're living the dream. Uh, we... We yammered a little bit beforehand, as we usually do. Uh, last the episode we recorded, I saw Nicole's vagina. <laughs> oh my god! I thought we got rid of that. <laughs> no, no, no! At this point, since it's not going to get included, I feel like. Oh my god! We now I'm recap. so sad because we were going to use it as like a mini, like a, a it, blooper content. It's going to be so good. Uh, you guys, we're so, so upset about it. Don't even. It, it was it was such a good episode with so much extra content. I mean, we talked about Nicole finally taking down her Christmas tree, which yeah. is still up. I can see it in the corner. It is. It, it, <laughs> the, the carcass is still up, even though I've specifically asked today for Zach. I literally said, "Bring, I'll bring the trash bag down. All we gotta do is put the trash bag over top of you the br- tree and then tip the, the tree, tree up. I'll bring the trash bag. Yeah, yeah, uh huh. Yeah, that's it. That's our that's our sex life. Uh, agreed. <laughs> I was like, you bring. Speaking I'll bring the trash bag. Life, I have been powering through the Sinners of Saint series. Yeah, you have. As like, of wow. the last time we recorded, I've read another one and started another one. And almost these. Are you halfway through? Oh no, not even. Let's see. I have my Kindle right here. Um, I am currently. 23% of the way, so almost a quarter of the way I like, through Bane. Oh, I ended up did I ended up cleaning the books up. I, I took that space. Oh, 
so and I Nicole put that in there. Me last, so Nicole FaceTimes me last night. I don't even know what and for. We're talking about. Uh, oh, I finished my book. I finished my book for the right, next you finished episode. Your book. You finished your book for the next episode. And I was in the middle of reading Scandalous. Yes. And which. Beautiful book. Um, I was Three in the middle Italian reading. chef kisses. Ah, oh, beautiful. Um, and <laughs> sexy Italian ratatouille chef kiss. <laughs> We love the fact that that's both referring to French and Italian. <laughs> yep. Um, but uh, she calls me and then we start talking about what books we had on our TBR list because I was like, I have so many books to, well, because I asked you which one to read I next. should read. Yeah, next, um, which I'm very excited about. Oh, the cool thing is that at the end of this episode, we can actually reveal what books we're going to be reading. Yes, yes, um, cool. which is great. Uh, but we should do this more often. She starts, Just kidding. Yeah, she starts. Call, she starts going through all of her books. Yeah, and I think you had like a mental breakdown about how many books you had. I did, and when and Zach how came, disorganized they were. I know. Zach came downstairs last night. I literally <laughs> tried to call him, and his phone was dead. So it was like panicking because like I didn't want to go outside. Mm-hmm. It was like twelve thirty at night. Um, right. So he comes downstairs, and I'm in the midst of a full-blown, like, freak out. Mind you, my mom had one of these two nights ago and cleaned our entire spice drawer and or spice rack and medicine cabinet to, like, organize it and our pantry. So, like, everything's organized. We found a Slim Jim from 2006. That's the last oh time God. we – now, did well, we throw – did we throw that away? No. Do no. I think one of the boys is going to eat it? Absolutely. Um <laughs> It's but, okay. I refried beans from like 2012 the other day. Okay. I don't know how you feel. Oh, I do know I, how I, you feel because you did feel shit your ass out today. Well, but that was from something else. Oh, well, you know. But anyway, I did set up the. Because I like to dip my ruffles in just straight sour cream. So. Delicious. Uh, I did set up <laughs> so one good. of the like shelves in my entertainment center downstairs, mm-hmm. which this will not be my entertainment center when I move, but yeah. I put that, I put all of like the newer books that I have on that shelf. And all the series that I love the most on that shelf. So, like, my Stalking Jack the Ripper series and mm-hmm. A Discovery of Witches and Scarlet and, like, all the new stuff that I just bought. So All right. So, the book that I read this week for the second time <laughs> is Onyx and Ivory. <laughs> is, is Onyx and Ivory by Mindy Arnett. Um, let's, let's read the back. <sighs> This is taking out a piece of my soul to have to do this again, but it's fine. <laughs> We're fine, everyone. It's fine. <laughs> Losing it just a little. Losing I've been in my house slowly. for seven days. <laughs> Let's see. All right. They call her Trader Kate. It's a title Kate Brighton. And <laughs> I gotta stop laughing every other word. Okay, here we go. They call her Trader Kate. It's a title Kate Brighton inherited from her father after he tried to assassinate the High King of Rhine. Cast out of the nobility, Kate now works for the Royal Courier Service. Only the most skilled ride for the relay and only the fastest survive. For when night falls, the night drakes, deadly flightless dragons. This was where you said, <gasps> drakes, like Cora. And I said, yeah. <laughs> God. Come out, Dot. Okay. Um, Drinks like Cora. <laughs> Fortunately, Kate has a secret edge. She is a wilder, born with forbidden magic that allows her to influence the minds of animals. And it's this 
magic that leads her to a caravan massacred by drakes in broad daylight. The only survivor is Corwin Tormain, the son of the king, her first love, the boy she swore to forget after he condemned her father to death. With their paths once more entangled. I fucked that up last time. I remember that too. <laughs> Kate and Corwin. Stop must saying what you fucked up. It's not going to matter. <laughs> no one <Kate> knows. <laughs> That's true. Kate and Corwin must put the past behind them to face this new threat and even darker menace stirring in the kingdom. That's that. I'm so excited for you to tell me this story. <laughs> I fucking hate you. you. can't pretend that you don't already know it. We're I'm going gonna... to pretend I already know it the whole fucking, or pretend I, I don't you. know it the whole fucking I time. I look at you. <laughs> like, get oh ready God. for the ending when you have to reveal it. I'm literally going to go, gasp. <laughs> I hate you so much. <laughs> and listeners, if okay. you find that part, take a shot with me. <laughs> <laughs> okay, so we start off the book. Kate Brighton is riding through between these two towns. Uh, Good. <laughs> far old, Good. You far know the book well. Other place. <laughs> All right. So uh, the beginning of the book starts off with Kate riding through. I, I imagine it almost like like a desert, like kind of like how Arizona is, but I don't think that's the landscape. I think it's more plainish. Oh, I honestly, I honestly was picturing woods as you told it to me the last time. <laughs> oh, were you really? That's yeah. funny. Well, because okay, so, I didn't read so the book though, so I don't fucking know. That's fair. They describe it as like you know, there's like wheat on either sides. Where you know when you're driving through fucking Mount Pleasant, and all there is is just corn. Like, yeah, yep. It, it's like that sort of like when you're just driving, and it's like brown like wheat or like corn stalks as they're dying. Like it, it looked kind of like that, but almost like dead, like Sahara-y to me for some reason. With like because on the map that's in the beginning of the book. <laughs> Corn in Mount Pleasant, like where it's died, and you're like, it's in the Sahara. I'm like, in what no, fucking no, 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 world? No, no, no. But it's the desert like, with like, corn. Because like, well, they talk about how there's like crops on either side, mm-hmm. but it's like that, like tall. It's almost like tall grass and like crops yeah. and stuff. So like, the- <laughs> I just I don't get where the desert comes see, in. If you look, if you look at the book on the thing, there's <laughs> there's like you can't cropping- keep moving it. <laughs> there's croppings of forests. Which is what makes me think that this isn't all forest. Okay. Okay, does that make sense? Yeah. So, basically, Kate is riding between these two cities because she's part of the courier service called the Relay. And you'd think, like, oh, don't normal people travel in between? Not really, because you have to have, to be able to camp out at night out in these fields and not be attract, attacked by these drakes is be, because they, they lust for, they want human flesh. That's what they want to eat. So, yeah, like, yeah. they'll hunt for cattle. So, they have to bring in cattle in, even though they don't hunt for, um, like, wild animals, because they'll kill the cattle if they have, like, human scent on them, which is... That's really fucking cool. You did not tell me that the last time. I know, I didn't. I didn't. That's really I remember. cool. Yeah, it is. It is. And so it's, it's a good way of like explaining that like they want this one thing, which is why they'll go after humans and not like other animals. Um, so basically, and, and they can only survive at night. They can't come out in the sun. Uh, if you want to travel, you need the help of the mages. So there's this whole there's this group called the League and they're trained mages. They make these little, like, different stones or diamonds or gems and they cast different spells on them. And if you wear one, it can, like, ha- you know, keep your face. But then they also put up... Keep them. your face. Keep your face. <laughs> so that's what I meant. They can, like, they can, like, hide an imperfection that you have or there scarring or something. We'll get, we'll get to that later. Um, but they can also... They use them at, to create barriers. Like, they become, like, magic beacon type things that block out drakes or different attacks or something you know all that kind of stuff 
and they cost a fuck ton of money. So the relay riders are the fastest, like, people in the kingdom, basically. I mean, obviously, they're not royalty or anything, but they are they are the most skilled riders. Mm-hmm. And if you are bad at riding, you will not make it in. And if you die along the way, you fucking die along the way. It's a dangerous job. Because sometimes you are you are getting there at, like, right as the doors are closing. If you get stuck outside for the night, then you're gone. You're a goner. Which is what's happening to Kate right now. So Kate is riding back to Farhold, the city where she's, like, stationed um, or from. And her horse started off the day fine, but it had a little bit of a pain in its leg and they were going easy. And then all of a sudden, I think they got held up or something. So she is racing to get back to be in the gates of Farhold because otherwise she is a goner. The night drakes will come and get her. Um, So she's using, she has this ability um, where she can talk to animals. Well, not talk to animals, but like read their minds and influence their thoughts and like send them different images to like pass along a certain thing. She can also take their pain as her own. Um, so as they're racing down the road, she can feel her horse, the like break in his leg, the fracture in his leg. She can feel that it's starting to slow him down and she knows that she needs to, uh, get back in time. And in also wilder magic, not allowed. It's considered a very dangerous type of magic. Wilders in this kingdom are hunted down by the Inquisition, which is a group that's part of the league, the mages. Um, they're hunted down by the Inquisition and then they are taken and put to death because of their magic that they're born with because it's a weapon that cannot be taken away um and wilder magic only works at night as well which is you know you're like hmm, what does this have to do with the drakes um and the mages have special stones that can detect wilder magic when it's being used so kate can't use her magic in the city so when she's outside the walls right now she's safe to use it so she takes her ability and takes on all the pain of her horse pip so he just runs flat out and she sends the image into his mind of the drakes coming out of because they'll hide in like the brush on the side of the roads, like the stalks of grass or crops or whatever, in order to ambush riders. And so she's taking on the pain of the horse. Meanwhile, she's swiveled around in the saddle, pulls an arrow from her backpack and is or her backpack, her like holster and is shooting these drakes that are starting to come after her. And just in the nick of time, she makes it through the city doors. Like, Whoa. as they're closing. Whoa. Yeah. <sighs> Fuck you. I'm sorry. <laughs> I'm trying okay. to provide good commentary here. It's this okay. is a weird-ass episode, everyone. <laughs> it is. It is a weird-ass episode. It's a weird one because usually part of the joy is that neither of us knows the other's book. Mm-hmm. Um, so right. Kate gets back into the city. It's really fucking sad because she goes back to the relay house. Um, where only men can live, so fuck that. So she lives in an apartment with another female rider named Sine, who, love that bitch. Um, and she gets back, and they have somebody come and inspect the horse, and because it's not a mare, so it can't give any airs, and it's not like a horse of royal pedigree, they have to put it to death. And Kate feels incredibly <laughs> guilty for this, because she pushed the horse so that its leg was basically irreparable, but it's either that or she fucking dies. Um, which is kind of a fucked up choice to have to make, but I also get it. Um, so she goes to, she goes back to her, we'll call it an apartment and she goes to sleep and the next morning she wakes up and she's late for work and Sine, who's there, she's also a relay rider. She's like, dude, if I knew you were still here, I would have woken you up. Why didn't you wake up for the bell? And Kate's like, I don't know. The bell didn't ring. And and Sine's like, oh, well, you know, the royals are in town. And Kate's like, <laughs> the fucking who? <laughs> the, the who? The 
the how? <laughs> so how uh, the city states cities work in rhyme is so that there's Norgard is the capital, and there is a king who looks like who controls all of the cities in the kingdom of rhyme. But all these different they're like walled cities, and then each one has like a governor. So Kate hasn't had to deal. So Kate's from Norgard, and um, she left that place because when she was sixteen, so she's like nineteen now. Um, love that when they're she older. Was sixteen. <laughs> Right? I, I also love that. It's great. We love to hear it. Um, So when she was 16, she, her dad was the master of horse at uh, at in the kingdom or, or for the royal family in Norgard. And so Kate grew up with the two uh, princes, uh, Corwin and Edwin, Edwin being the older, and Corwin and her were very tight. And then one day her dad Toy. was very, very close with the king, Orwin. I uh, hate that they all... Corwin, Orwin, Edwin, fuck you. It's like a thing. It's a thing. They all have like win names. Fuck you. <laughs> yeah. I mean, shout out to Lord of the Rings, Aragorn. Good. I'm glad you remember your favorite book. <laughs> fuck you. <laughs> fuck you. <laughs> fuck yeah. Well, there's like Aowen, Aomir. Like <laughs> You're like, I'm sorry, did you say Aowen? <laughs> yeah, then there's like there's Smeagol, there's Deagle, there's her dad, her dad, for some reason they don't know, he tried to kill the king. And they were, like, really close, her dad and the king. And for some reason he tried to kill him. Nobody really knows why. And her father was executed. Kate's mother, who was always a shitty mom, uh, basically disowned the father and said, I had no part in this. I don't want to be associated with his name anymore. Kate loved her father so much, couldn't disown him, basically. And so her father, her mom said, like, fuck you, and left. Fuck Kate, you. Fuck yeah. Um, Kate That's how we say to, it from now on. <laughs> yeah, trying to live her life and, like, get out of the shadow because everybody calls her traitor Kate for being a traitor's daughter. Also, her dad, as well, had this gift of speaking to animals. Um, she decides to move to Farhold, and because she grew up on horses and grew up training them, she, she obviously grew up becomes... on horses. Yeah, that's what people say. Oh like, my god, I'm so horses. sorry. I'm not a horse girl. <laughs> <laughs> I grew up on horses. You grew up on cars. You grew up on boats, you know? No, I don't know. You know, when people say like, oh yeah, she grew up on the Beatles, like listening to the Beatles. That's what she was like fed off of, like in her soul. Okay. Have you never heard anybody say that? I I mean, I have, but not with horses or boats. (laughs) I guess boats, yes, but not with cars. Those are both things that are specific to me. (laughs) Yeah, not with horses or cars. Yeah, she grew up on horses. Anyway. (laughs) (laughs) Fuck you David. <laughs> I use that for Steven all the time. <laughs> a little. I'm a Hollywood star. <laughs> I do get to Steven all the time, though. So <gasps> I forgot to tell you. I'm so sorry. I have Fruit to tell line. you right now. Okay, so okay. you've seen the thing going it. around where they ask guys if they sit or they stand to wipe their ass when they do yeah. when they go to the bathroom, right? So I'm having this art t- conversation with my mom what and my dad. What? What do you, how do you wipe? Sitting. <laughs> what the fuck? No. No. Yes. No. Okay. Yes. Listen. Anyway, you're going to take Steven's side then because he comes out and he goes, it's standing. I was like, what the fuck is wrong with you, Steven? I was like, you get more? I'm going to do it. You get more. <laughs> this fucking position that you do standing. No, you don't. Yes, you do. <laughs> 
your asshole is open. (laughs) Never mind. (laughs) Just that's enough. It's enough. I disagree. I feel like I feel every time, no matter how many times I try to train myself to wipe while sitting. Because do you know how do you know how many times a bunch of us have been drunkenly in the bathroom and like turn around? I gotta stand when I wipe. It's probably seen so many different parts of me because of the fact that I have to stand with Please tell me Maddie is one of the people that sits. I don't fucking know. I'm always too drunk staring at myself in the mirror to notice. I cannot. Whoever brought this conversation up, I need to have words. You did. No, I mean like the person who oh. like brought it up in the media. I need in words. The internet. Yeah, I well, like I, I don't know. Just no matter how many times. I, I always stand up and I always feel like I'm still like my butt was just too close to the toilet. It's enough. We're done. It's done. <laughs> okay. We're going okay. forward. I'm so, upset. We're not, even, we're not even to the main interaction yet. <laughs> Jesus. Jesus, Jeff. <laughs> Fuck <laughs> y'all. Fuck y'all. Um, so, Kate, uh, so, so she decided to leave, go join the relay. And when she was younger, she had a kind of a little we'll say romance with Mm -hmm. Corwin, Mm -hmm. one of the princes. So Kate, so Kate's like, ah, fuck the, the Royals are in the city. I got a Mick blast before she goes. Mick, fuck you. (laughs) Mick, fuck you. (laughs) My mom's going to love listening to this. (laughs) She goes, you guys swear too much. And we're like, shit. Oh, sorry. (laughs) Um, so, so she, she, before she leaves, Sine's like, surprise, I've got you a moon belt. And moon belts are these, like, uh, mage-made belts that stop women from having periods. What a They're concept. birth control. What a concept. So I love it. I love that there's magic birth control. I literally do. We need magic um, birth control here. Yeah, right? <laughs> if only. Um, magic birth control here right now is, is like, literally getting pregnant. Nicole. <laughs> it is. That stops your period. Oh. Sometimes. Saw, okay, this is just a really quick side note. We're going to cut this because I'm not trying to start a controversy. So, you know, I'm, I'm pro-choice. And, uh, <laughs> yeah, and usually whenever I drive by the Planned Parenthood in my town, because it's on the road downtown, mm-hmm. if there are protesters, you know, people being like, eh, uh, I yeah, go same. like this out the window. <laughs> I go like this and hold my hand like this. And the other day, I was about to do it, and then I look, and I looked at this lady who was standing there with a sign, and she looked at me, and she smiled, and she read her, and I read her sign, and it was like, if you need assistance walking into the building, please let me know. Aww. And I And she went, and I went. It was such a nice moment. I was like, you and I fight for the same thing, my girl. I love that. We need more people like that. It was, Jamie and I are going to do it this summer. We're going to volunteer it. Honestly, I don't want you to cut this section because I just have to say something real quick. If Mm -hmm. you stand outside and harass the people at Planned Parenthood. Because. Like, I get where your views are. Okay. I get it. It's your view though. And you shouldn't be doing this to somebody else. And also, it's a small percentage of what they do there. Yeah. And like, how about the people that actually go in there to get like the mammograms? Like, I'm sorry. As somebody whose mom got diagnosed very young with breast cancer, like if Mm -hmm. you actually do not have the health care to be able to go Mm -hmm. and get a mammogram and you need to go to Planned Parenthood and you're outside yelling at that person... Get out of my life. I need you to mm-hmm. leave me alone because that person is trying to save their life, not take one away. That's all yep. I got to say about that. Yep, exactly. 
Exactly. It's whatever. Anyway, so moon belts are like a form of birth control. They stop the person from having periods. And typically, women who have them have many lovers. And this moon belt was gifted to them because they have a lot of sex and they don't want to get pregnant. That's basically, that's that's the like stigma that's associated with it. Just like women who have, who are on fucking birth control. It's, I mean, this book is littered with like modern Feminism. Fantasy so and famine. Fuck. Feminism. That too, honestly. And famine. Fantasy, feminism, and feminism. And fuck you. Um, and fuck you. <laughs> the four Fs. <laughs> this episode was brought to you, brought to you, fuck you by, by the four Fs. No, brought fantasy, to you by the letter famine, F. Feminism and fuck you. <laughs> this episode was brought to you by the letter the, F. The letter F. Oh my god. Also, Jesus. this book does have history and magic. No London. Um, shit. <laughs> shit. Fuck. Fuck you. So sorry, Miss Fry. I'm yeah. so sorry to anybody who's offended. Fuck you. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I digress. <laughs> Same. Yeah, I'll be quiet. haven't even managed to reach out yet. <laughs> Why is this the same thing every episode? <laughs> you were like, it's gonna be shorter. Bullshit. <laughs> Bullshit. That's why we're doing this in two parts. Two parts. Next episode parts. will be brought to you by the letter G. <laughs> will we say, girl, bye? <laughs> yep. If you, if you go back and listen, you'll hear me whispering the alphabet real quick to me. I may be fairly intelligent, a Ravenclaw, but that doesn't mean I'm not still dyslexic. So, dude, 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 I'm a Hufflepuff and it shows. (laughs) You are such a Hufflepuff. So, so, so Kate takes the moon belt, she puts it on, she's running down the street and then all of a sudden she's like, why the fuck is it so busy? Right. The Royals. She gets to the (laughs) road. Like, the royals are in town. And then she's like, why are the streets busy of the royals? I'm like, what? <laughs> bitch, are you there? Are you that incapable? Like, really, bitch? You really no, can't like, remember? She's like, right, the, like, like, she's just like, why the fuck are people everywhere? And then she's like, oh, right, they've got all their ugly shit on because the royals are here. So I know, but I them. honestly was not expecting you to say it where she, like, didn't remember. And so I spit my water all on the ground. Good. Um, so... Good. Good. Sorry, did you just get that notification? What? No. Mindy Arnett liked our post, the girl whose book we're talking about right now. I just got the notification. Stop that it. Mindy That's Arnett not what. <laughs> That's why I was like, what am I reading? What are the fucking odds that as Mindy, we are literally talking about your book right now on the pod and you have the audacity <laughs> to like the post? Oh my a God. follower. Okay. <laughs> okay, okay. Back to Onyx and Ivory. Um, so, wow, I feel weird now that I'm talking about her book. Um, it's fine. So, Kate runs into, like, a bunch of people lined up on the road. She goes, like, oh, fuck, it's a parade. And there's guards, like, on either side of the road. And she goes to go push through them. And one of them is, like, uh, ex- fucking, excuse me, grabs her braid, fucking yanks her back. And he's, like, holding her there. And then, like, the worst timing of all time. 
who rides up but Corwin, her ex-lover boyfriend who did not let her dad live. So Kate is like, fuck. And Corwin's like, because it's been three years since they've seen each other. He like had no idea what happened to her. So she, she says, uh, she's, she's like, I got to go to work and her, his friend doll who's there with him. He's like, he seems like a guard or like a, you know, aide uh, to Corwin is like, well, you can't deny the girl her livelihood. Like you should let her get to work. And he's like, do, you know, my prince, do you know this girl? And Corwin goes, nope. Because he's a <laughs> little bitch. Right? Um, just Me kidding, with all my exes. Just kidding. It's just that. Same. <laughs> Big sad. What, that I have no exes? I said same. Ha ha ha. 1-800-MADISON. Extension D-A-T-E. <laughs> Call us now. I want that to be a shirt. <laughs> Brought to you by the letter F. Mm-hmm. But fuck you. Fuck um, you. Fuck yeah. Uh, so, she, he, she's like, okay then. And as she's, like, running through the parade route, like, in front of them, Doll is like, ma'am, you dropped something. And it's the moon belt. Which is just, like, horrible because, like, the, the last thing you want to have happen when you run into your ex- who had your dad murdered, basically, who had your dad executed, it's for him to think you're sleeping with a lot of dudes. <laughs> like, which is, like, fine, but that's not how you want him to find out, you know? Um, so she's like, thank you, and picks it up, goes to the relay house. So at the relay house, basically how it works is if you're fucking late, you get bumped to an either a route that you don't make as much money on or a route that's even more difficult. So Kate gets sent, she gets put on the Andreas route, which is like the toughest one because there has been a ferry bridge installed and the ferrymen are like total douches about letting relay riders through. And so a lot of them, like uh, a couple weeks ago or a month ago or something like that in the timeline, uh, one of the female relay riders got held up at the bridge and she got attacked by Drake's and didn't make it back. And so a girl has ridden the route since. Um, so Kate's going to leave in like a couple hours and she's like, okay, I'm gonna, I'm gonna go see my friend Bonner before, uh, I go and go do the route, uh, which takes like a couple days. So she's going to have to stop overnight somewhere. But if she, if she stops in Andreas, then, uh, or like on the, if she can, she can sleep a night in Andreas. And then if she doesn't make it back over the bridge in time, she, her, the, the master of the relay or whatever gave her mage stones to use in an old like abandoned uh relay tower along the way where she can stop and like put up wards for the night and protect herself and then go back on her route for the rest for the next day and make it back safe um so she stops her friend bonner's house and bonner is this big burly dude teddy bear to the extreme he's got an ill father um and he's a blacksmith and he is also a wilder and the only people who know about Kate's wilder abilities were her father and then uh, Bonner, who is also wilder, and Cine knows. And Bonner has been has basically figured out, with the aid of his powers, because uh, he's, he's an earthist, so he can control, like, metal and earth and whatnot. Uh, he has made a revolver. And the revolver, you know, has not existed yet, but it's one of the surefire ways to kill a dragon is with a gun. And everybody else just has pistols. 
And so the revolver is like a huge thing. And he's like, Kate, I made this for you. I really want you to stay safe on your roots because you're one of my best friends. And just take just take this with you. I know it works this time because he's been testing them out because he's a soft inventor boy. I love big soft inventor boys like Henry Branwell from Infernal Devices. We stand a big soft inventor. Absolutely. Um, creative types. Uh, <laughs> so Kate then goes on her way and goes off to go do her Andreas route. Meanwhile, Corwin and his party of people leave the city. And party people! Party people! Um, they leave Yay! the city. Yay! Tag team music! They go to go visit an old friend of the king, like an old governor or something, in his manor house that's like warded and guarded and stuff. And when they get there, the whole place has been burned to the ground. Nobody's left alive. And they see this guy there and he's burning a, a night drake. And everybody's like, what the fuck to happen here? Anyway, they stop for the night. There are things all warded. And then, uh, so this is, the characters that we need to know here are Dahl, who's Corwin's friend, and then Master Wraith, who's one of the blue mages. So all the mages have different leagues. Or in the league, all the mages have different houses. So like the blues are the defender types. Then there's the golds. And then there's, uh, golds are like the politician-y types, I guess you could say. They're in charge of the Inquisition. There's greens. There's, there's a whole bunch of them. So, um, Dahl goes off to go in search of the, in, to search about some things about whatever happened with this house that got burned down, the, the old governor's house. And along the route, so, so Dahl's out of the picture. Um, along the route, Corwin and, uh, the rest of the party are attacked by Daydrakes, which are the same thing as Nightdrakes, except for they can fucking survive in the sunlight. Ah! Which has never been seen before and is very alarming because now no time of day is safe. No time of day, no time of night, nothing in the 24 hours. So. Nothing is um, safe. Yeah. So Kate is uh, making her way downtown, walking fast, faces past, and she's homebound. After going to Andreas, she does have trouble with the ferryman and she's like, crap, I'm going to have to stay in the relay tower, but it's fine because she has the ward stones. When she's getting close, she picks up uh, something from uh, her horse. Uh, I think it's Dally. You couldn't remember the last time either. So if that makes you feel any better. Yeah. The horse she's riding. Yeah. The horse she's riding. She picks up like a scent from it. And uh, it, it, she's, she's like, it smells like death. And it smells like, like burnt things. So she kind of goes to go investigate a little farther away from the relay tower because it's still daytime. And she comes across the scene of a fucking massacre. And she's like, oh, holy no. shit, what's happening? She looks over and there's Corwin. Oh, no. under a And he's like, Ugh. he's been attacked. I mean, it, it's really bad. His his horse is dead. Everybody else is dead. Um, And then Kate's like, crap, I got, well, I got to fucking save him. I can't just let him die. And as she's going to go save him, a Drake, a day Drake attacks her and she fends it off with her arrow, um, with her arrows. She runs out of arrows and then three more. So she kills that one, but then three more come at her and she has no choice but to use the revolver. So she uses the revolver and then she's crushed under one of the horses or one of the day Drakes that knocks her off her horse and as it dies. Um, and then the horse is like running away and she's like, no, no, no get back here she reaches out with her magic and is like come here lean your head down pick me up you know so like this horse is listening like a fucking person um <laughs> crazy so cra truly insane um so she goes she saves corwin and she brings him to the relay house 
or to the relay tower. And there she fixes his, you know, tries to heal him. And she asks, like, what did my father, like, say to you? What did, what, ha- like, what happened? Just tell me what fucking happened. And all he says is, like, your father said, like, go to Fenmore or something like that. And then he's in and out of consciousness. The next day, she's on the road to go back to Farhold to get somebody to bring to save Corwin. Um, and uh, the she, halfway there, she's meted by Dahl and the guards. And they're like, Master Wraith, one of the mages, escaped using a flashstone, which is a new type of weaponry. Um, where's Corwin? And they go and they save him. And in his, like, stupor, he's like, it was crazy. She fought off four four uh, dragons with this gun that can shoot many rounds. And everybody's like, what the, what the fuck is this about? Anyway, Kate makes it back. Everybody's safe. Everybody's alive. Well, not everybody, except for all those people who died on the party attacked by Daydrakes, which sucks. Um, but they get back and Corwin is like, I have to have one of these guns for myself for the whole army because if these day drakes are a problem then we're gonna need uh we're gonna need everybody to have these guns everybody in the guard who made them he says this to kate basically and she's like she's like well my friend bonner did it they go to bonner and corwin's like I know you have issues like leaving your dad and I know money's a problem. What if I pay you to become the Royal blacksmith and you come to Norgard, the capital city with me to make and produce these guns for people. We'll pay you handsomely. Your father will have the best care, you know, nothing like healthcare with your job. Um, and you know, it'll all be great. And he's like, and Bonner's like, Oh my God, that sounds amazing. And he's like, Sine will have to come with me too. Cause she's the one who makes the gunpowder. And Sine comes from the Isle of Esh, so she's Eshian, and there's these, like, sisters there, they're, like, priestesses, almost, you could say, who make this gunpowder, but uh, Sine's not old enough to know, to be one of those sisters, or be one of those priestesses, and so nobody really knows why she is the way she is, or why she knows what she knows, she's very good at knife juggling, or whatever, um, so she, uh, what was I fucking about to say, so she's like, yeah, I'll, I'll come, and then... Kate's like, oh, crap, all my fucking friends are leaving me because everybody else in this town hates me except for these two because, you know, she is traitor Kate. Um, And Bonner's like, well, you know, I'll go with you, but only if Kate can come with me, which is very soft and I love him. What are you doing? Writing notes for next week. (laughs) Nicole, listen! I am listening! (laughs) Okay! (laughs) Interject. Make fun of me. Here's the thing. <laughs> we didn't get to do the whole um, bit with the... The... The, the, uh, the rifles? Yes. I know. I was waiting for horse, you to do it. But you didn't mention the fucking musket, so I couldn't. I was waiting for you to break in. <laughs> okay, so we're going to bring this up right now. So you're telling me <laughs> that <laughs> these muskets... <laughs> Could have been made, and then girl, the girl's like, so like, I'm picturing Kate get on the goddamn horse, and she's sitting there, and she's like, fuck, I got this giant ass musket, and I gotta rip open the packet and pour the thing in, and then pick up the stick and shove the stick in, and then aim all while the fucking horse has to run, and I gotta somehow make sure I don't die, and then you they're said they're not in the sky, they're flightless dragons. 
okay, I thought the whole time these <laughs> no, were fucking When I read the back, it literally said night drakes, deadly flightless dragons. <laughs> were you not listening? I've no, said I, four times I know, but I just, it didn't connect, okay? It did yeah, not they connect. Don't fly, they crawl on the ground like Mushu. Dragon, dragon, not lizard. I don't do that tongue thing. <laughs> don't ever make that noise again. Oh, Nicole. That's on. just like that's just like Anthony Hopkins in Silence this of the Lambs. This is a children family show. Or is or it? Is it? <laughs> <laughs> Harry Styles. Wait, Anthony Hopkins. What about him? In Silence of the Lambs? Oh, see, when you do that tongue thing, you want to know what I think of? Body crouched in your father. Oh, my God. <laughs> I understand like, why. Father. I understand why, but I definitely was trying to pull off his little, like, thing that he does that Anthony Hopkins yeah. does to, um, what is her name? Jodie Foster. Jodie Foster. She's a great director. And a great actress. Yes, she is. She is now, moving on. We did Moving my on. bit with the muskets. <laughs> so. Ten months later. So they decide they go to uh, Norgard. When they get back, it's very uncomfortable because, yay, Corwin's back. What we also didn't mention before, we being me and all my personalities. Um, <laughs> How many you got today with you, boo? <laughs> Seven. <laughs> Lucky numbers. Uh, one for each day of the week I've been home. So. <laughs> if that's the case, I got 21. <laughs> oh my God, have you been home for 21 days? It's, uh, no, I've been home since Friday the, Friday the 6th. <gasps> what? Friday the 13th. <laughs> oh my god, I was like, Nicole, Nicole. <laughs> I've been home since Friday the 13th, so Damn, now it's... dude. Uh, that's 14 days plus... I, I still 15, had to work 16, up until a week ago. 17. I've been home for 18 days. Oh, that makes me want to throw up for you. I don't want to talk about it. <laughs> okay. All right. So... It's fine, I'm fine! <laughs> Scream it a little louder. Peek a little harder. Don't do it, Nicole. I swear to fucking God. I saw you. <laughs> it's fine. I'm fine. <laughs> Fuck you. Fuck yeah. Okay, keep going. So, so they're on their way to uh, Norgard. They go to Norgard. What we didn't talk about before is that uh, Corwin, after... Kate's father attempted to kill the king. And mind you, the king this whole time is like in a, just he's lying in bed. Like he's, he's, there's nothing about him. Like he's just nothing. He's honestly, he's probably basically like brain dead at this point. Yeah, 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 yeah. yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, so uh, Corwin went missing for a couple years and you don't really know where he went or what he did until later in the book. Uh, also, there's this thing that happens uh, in this kingdom. So kings are not, and Corwin's the youngest, mind you, in his family of two brothers. Uh, he, in their families, they don't ascend the, heir, the throne if you're the, yes. the firstborn. Right. It is not. It is not based on age. It is based on worthiness and how this works. And so also in this world, they don't have. Every city has a patron god or goddess. I'm pretty sure most of them are goddesses, which is dank. 
Um, Subtle notes of feminism. Right. <laughs> um, so uh, every every city has a patron goddess, and so they pray to these gods and goddesses. Um, in nor in the kingdom of rhyme, how it works is that this sign will appear called the Ur, when I believe the youngest son is sixteen. At that point, the Ur can start appearing. Um, and it is a, the sign is in the form of an animal that is split toned, black and white, like a completely impossible animal to have. Um, it just appears. Uh, and that is a sign from the gods that it is time to start the three tasks that will determine which of the sons is worthy enough to be the king, which is a really cool concept. And I dig it a lot. I do too. Corlin I liked that part about the whole thing. It's hella stressed because he's like 20 and the error has yet to appear. I'm sorry. Can you pronounce that again? Error? Error? Error. Error? Error. Error. There's. Okay. Do you know how hard it is to have vowel R, vowel R? Error. 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 You wanted out. you wanted me to come back. <laughs> <laughs> I do, I do. I'm glad you're here. Welcome, welcome, Nicole's consciousness consciousness to the party. <laughs> this episode was bought to you bought to you, because I can't say brought to you. Bought to you by the fifteen personalities I have in my head. <laughs> One for every day, eighteen. <laughs> I said fifteen, but close enough. <laughs> I know. Three are in the closet, and not and not the uh, that type of closet. Well, I mean, you never know. You're right. You never know. <laughs> the one time, the one time I texted Madison, I said to you, <laughs> in all caps, I said, "What was the song?" Oh, I said, "Loving oh, it was you isn't the right thing to do." In all caps. And then I said, how can I ever change things that I feel? And Madison goes, what? And <laughs> okay. You, I think you thought that you thought, I thought that you were confessing your love to me. I thought that you I had did. accidentally sent me a text that was meant for Zach. And I thought I was accidentally witnessing your breakup. <laughs> I was no, horrified. I was just texting her the, the, the lyrics oh to Fleetwood Max. You can and go I your just, own like, way. waited a little bit to respond to me. And I was like, what the fuck is happening? <laughs> <laughs> like I was in a fever dream. The best <laughs> part was, the best part was me thinking that you thought I, I loved you. you. I mean, you do, don't you? Yes, but, like, sexually loved you. Yeah, well, the, the personalities that are in the closets are the ones that, like, Sailor Moon. <laughs> the personality that's in the closet right now Sailor is Tuxedo is, Max. Is, is arguably one of the gayest animes of all time. Yeah. yeah. Literally, Tuxedo Mask's transformation? Get out of here. <laughs> that's why I don't want him. <laughs> Well, that's because you are him, Nicole. Fuck! I want to be someone cooler. Can I be anybody else? <laughs> Can yeah. I please be somebody else? Please. You give me Saturn energy sometimes. Oh, God! <laughs> the destroyer! Oh, no, not Saturn. Venus. I love Venus. You give me Venus energy Is it because she's sometimes dumb and I'm dumb? 
No, I was going to say because she's like the most girly girl out of all of them, I would say. And not that you're Nina. girly girl, but you love makeup and you love buying things. And I also <laughs> love buying things, but you love buying makeup. I would honestly, I would tell you right now, I would agree with that. I would agree with the Venus vibes. Mm-hmm. The not fact Serena, that I'm more tuxedo mask than Venus is the sad, same birthday. As Sailor Moon. You know, the only problem yeah. is about Sailor Moon is that the chaotic so energy. Annoying. Anyway, back to your book, because I keep doing this. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> back back to the book. Um, I let her talk for a solid, like, oh, four so minutes Ur- <laughs> without me saying so anything. So Corwin's fucking stressed because he's 20 and the Ur has yet to appear. Ur. Um, Ur-ur. <laughs> That's how we got there, Nicole. <laughs> um, if you think so, I didn't know, you're wrong. <laughs> one of my personalities told me to say it again. One of your personalities is checking it out there. Um, so they get back to the kingdom and everybody's like, oh, Prince Corwin's back, Prince Corwin's back. They go into the castle. It's called the Mirror Castle, I believe, because it's beautiful and reflective of the sun. Um, and uh, they go up to this, to like the gardens and standing there is Edwin with all of the different advisors. And they are looking at a Daedrake that is dead in front of them. Nice. And and Corwin's like, uh. And Edwin's like, yeah, I, we heard. And then this. And, you know, uh, not good. And Corwin's like, yeah, very not good. But surprise, I have brought a, a guy who can make a bunch of guns that are going to help us a lot. And... Edwin, as he's walking away, is like, oh, you won this round, brother. And Corwin's, like, kind of in a joking way, but also in, like, the way that you know that he's fishy. Um, And Corwin's like, what do you mean? And Edwin's like, oh, yeah, didn't you know while you were away that Urrur appeared? Urrur. Urrur. So the symbol's there, so now they have to uh, basically fight for the throne, uh, which is wee-wee-wee-woo. And Corwin definitely does not think he is worthy. Um, so while they're living in the castle, Kate and Corwin are kind of like becoming pals again. Uh, and the trouble, the, well, okay, I should say the other trouble with them being there is that Bonner's gift is how he makes the revolvers work. Like he understands the science of it, but there's something about like the smoothness of the metal or like the forging process that just isn't producing guns that are good enough. Mm-hmm. Um, to like work without jamming or anything. So they're, they're in a risky situation here. Um, so Kate and Corwin are slowly becoming friends again and she's, you know, she definitely still has feelings for him and he definitely still has feelings for her and it's very apparent. And he's like, well, you can go work at the stables again. You can be like assistant to the horse training guy. Uh, he's the fucking worst. Cade. Alistair Cade. Um, which is a dank name. It is a really um, cool name. Yeah, but he's a douche. Uh, douche <laughs> so, canoe. Douche canoe. Um, did I text you the word douche canoe recently yes i couldn't remember <laughs> about jordan vanderzee what a douche canoe absolutely um, and he can go down the waterfall of despair the um, pit of despair, despair. pull the lever crunk <laughs> i watched wrong lever i watched Is a it video that guy today. who's falling with um, the eyelashes i watched a video today of these two guys being Patrick Bates. Oh, when they were playing, the, where it's like, uh, happy birthday. Yes, it's the, yeah. uh, in, is it the, uh, the innuendo one? What's the game called? Yeah, it's it's called. Uh, Incoherent. Yeah. Mm-hmm. I got or that like, for Christmas. You did? Oh, it looks so fun. 
I'll bring it over. Fun. I have Cards Against Humanity in that now. And I what do you mean? <gasps> I love what do you mean? I love all those kind of games. Anyway. So, uh, I love Patrick Warburton so much. His voice is so soothing. Not Bateman. I said Bateman. I meant Warburg. What? Oh. what? Warburton? No, Where the no. fuck is his name? Warburton. Warburton. What? War. 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 Like Burton. Burton. Warburton. Warburton? Warburton. <laughs> it's like War Horse, but instead of horse, it's Burton. And Burger. <laughs> Burgermeister, Meister, Burger. Burgermeister, anyway. Air Burgermeister. <laughs> That's one of the the guy he says it. But. I I've seen the I've seen the movie. <laughs> anyway, so Kate goes to go and uh, the the master of horse is like I'm going to oh god fuck my bad. So they have the like initiation ceremony for the error where they get like it's the you could almost say the opening ceremony type thing. Yeah, where the two princes go into so Norla I'm pretty sure that's her name is the patron goddess of the Norgard. of of Norgard, and also, I guess you could say the royal family. Um, her two Ooh. symbols are horses, so the entrance to the city is flanked by two horses, one onyx, one ivory. Yeah, the book. Also <laughs> the book. <laughs> Amazing. <laughs> onyx um, and ivory. Ha <laughs> ha! Onyx and <laughs> um, <laughs> So, uh, she... So, so, at this ceremony, they bring out the Ur symbol. They brand their hands... Which is kind of crazy. Um, and so so the priestesses brand their hands, or one of their hands, and then um, they bring out the Ur sign, and the sign, this go around. And so back when Corwin's father had to compete against his brother, uh, the sign was a wolf. So it was a black and white wolf, which I know you would love, Nicole. I do love um, because you love wolves. Honestly, love wolves. if if that was the er that came out for me, I'd be like, "It's mine. I'm the king. It's me, everyone. <laughs> I'm the king." If you did, oh, if you no think worries. I'm wrong, I'll prove it in these trials and tribulations. Yep. Um. So basically, uh, Kate and or or so the er sign for Corwin and Edwin is you guessed it a horse. Did they guess it though? Did they? Well, no. That's the thing is because the last time the Ur sign was a horse. Not them. Was... Our audience. God damn it. <laughs> I didn't guess it. I had no fucking you idea. You said you guessed it. I was making oh, a funny. Okay. You know, okay. I'm going to go back to not talking. <laughs> <laughs> no. Um, uh, oh, I, I like that you're wearing your found sweatshirt thing. Spirit jersey. <laughs> um. So, yeah, honestly, for a second... And I'm glad she described what the horse looks like. It looked, looked like, because at first I was like, black and white horse. Isn't that just a fucking zebra? <laughs> oh, my god. oh my god! Oh my god! Oh my god! Oh my god! I love that. At first I was like, I was like, it's a fucking zebra. Um, no, wrong. It is a colt, which is a baby horse. Wait, so are zebras white with black stripes or black with white stripes? I think it's both. I think it's their fur pattern. You learn something new. This you... episode was brought to you by <laughs> zebras. <laughs> this horse in particular, like I said, a colt for those of you who weren't raised as horse girls, ah. um, has its 
split directly down the middle by like a gray stripe um going like from its nose all the way down to its tail and then one side of the horse is completely black and the other side is completely white with a blue eye in the white side and then a black eye on the black side which is a very crazy thing to picture um absolutely yeah and so the last time that the ur was a horse um which is like the most sacred animal is uh was 300 years ago during like this big war that happened um that was kind of the beginning of the segregation of wilders and whatnot um which is a whole other whole other issue um so they finished the little ceremony yay everything's great um another thing about the wilders is that um there is this belief in the kingdom that there is this group of wilders they're called the rising and they are you could you could almost say they're believed to be like a terrorist group yeah of these magical people who are aiming to take down the um, the Tormain Empire, I guess you could call it. So mm-hmm. the Tormains are the family that control Rhyme. So Corwin and Edwin and their father and everything, those are the Tormains. So is their um, last name Tormain or are they House yes, Tormain? Yes. No, no, no. Their last name is Tormain. Okay. So he's Corwin Tormain. It's like the Windsor. Anyway, so... Uh, so, so basically, you know, there's this whole issue with the rising. Very spooky. So... 300 years ago, the last symbol was a horse, which means that this something, something, some shit's about to go down and the gods know it. Um, Kate goes to audition to work for the master of horse, Alistair Cade, who used to work with her father. Uh, Corwin's there and Alistair's being very kind to her and he's like, welcome back, Miss Brighton and all this stuff. And he's like, all right, time for your audition to train the horses. And Corwin's like, I want to watch. And then somebody comes and is like, uh, sir, you have to, uh go to a meeting, and then the minute he leaves, Alistair's like, you're not touching fucking any of these horses, traitor Kate. Like, you suck dick. Like, you're awful, and I hate you. Wow, um, strong words. <laughs> right? Wow, fuck language. you. <laughs> fuck you. Um, and he's like, you're gonna, you will not touch a single one of these horses, and Kate's like, these horses are my father's. Um, um, anyway, so Alistair is like, you're never gonna touch any of these horses. You are gonna spend your day mucking the stalls, which is honestly the fucking worst job like mucking the stalls is absolute garbage um she has to spend all day mucking up the stalls and all the stable boys keep like pushing over the barrel with all the horse shit in it the manure sorry um and so and then at the end of the day some little fucker takes a scoop full of horse shit and dumps it on kate's head and i don't know okay this is kind of gross cow and horse poop that shit is like acidic that's why you have to like just like our vaginas. Okay, but I'm pretty sure if I put my vagina on a flower, it's not gonna catch on fire. I'm sorry. <laughs> what? Have you okay, so as somebody who grew up with grandparents who have a farm, we used to get bags of horse man- or cow manure from my grandparents to put as like fertilizer on the flowers. Um and <laughs> because that's the thing you do. But you have to wa- you have to like water it down and wet it because otherwise the like acidity of the horseman your flowers will start to smoke and die because it's so like acidic and hot. Did you not know that? What do they eat? Like you have to like you have to like dilute it basically and wet it. What do horses and cows eat that make their assholes so acidic? I'm not saying it's their it's not their assholes. You they have like a double bowel system because remember they they have two stomachs because they they swallow their food, barf it back up into their mouth, chew the cud some they more. They do what? <laughs> How do you not 
first grade. Yeah, cows have two stomachs. I knew I'm that. Pretty sure. Yeah, they they put it down into one. They boof it back up. I'm pretty sure. Chew the cud <laughs> and then swallow it again. <laughs> <laughs> This episode is brought to you by... (laughs) (laughs) So, uh, Kate then, with all the manure on her head, goes into Alistair's office, shakes her head out on his desk, so all the shit goes on all of his stuff, which is a power move, and he's like, what the fuck? And she's like, I am glad my father wasn't alive to to see the kind of person you really are, um, because they used to be good friends. And then she used to call him Uncle Alistair. And then, and then as she's walking out the door, she's like, also, I'd rather be dead than work another day for you. So she goes back up to her room, takes a bath, you know, as one is wont to do after having shit dumped on their head. Um, and then, uh, <laughs> sorry. Um, then uh, she's looking, she's like sitting in her room because she is put in her family's old quarters at the castle. Um, which is kind of weird because it's been untouched since she left and her father tried to kill the king uh, because nobody wants to stay in a traitor suite. And so it looks completely the same. There's this painting above his old desk and Kate's like, huh, when I was younger, I used to call it Fenmore, which is, you know, the place that her dad said, go to Fenmore. Right. And Kate, Kate starts pulling at the painting and stuff. and She takes it down off the wall and she notices that there's a safe behind it. She opens it up. There's no key or anything. And inside, all she finds is a ledger book. And on the ledger book, she... Oh, fuck. I got one of the most... I forgot one of the most literally important parts. Whatever. We'll get there. Um, mm-hmm. Which part? Never mind. Keep going. Yeah. So, um, inside the ledger book, she takes note of everything because she used to do the books with her father. Um, and so, she notices that the only one that, like, doesn't add up is huge amounts of money being given to this establishment called the Sacred Sword. What I did forget to talk about was that while they were on the road, Kate and Corwin go off into the woods for a little bit and it starts to rain a little. They go back to the campsite and the horses are getting spooked to the point where like nobody can get near them and they could like pull off and run away. Um, And so Kate reaches out with her ability in the chaos and calms the horses down. And she looks over and as lightning like strikes, she can see in Master Wraith's eyes, the mage, that he knows that she has this ability, that she's a wilder. Um... That's the part I forgot. That's important. Oh, so, yeah. I remember that. I remember that. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Because that's very important to, to, to the story. Um, so, Kate, the first Ur task happens as well. Um, it's like a battle type, you know, choices thing that's performed in a loincloth. It's very strange. Um, can tell a lot about the person. We only see it from Corwin's perspective. We also don't know who won. Um so then Kate decides to go to the Sacred Sword, which she finds out from Corwin is, you guessed it, a brothel. <laughs> um, yay! Yay! <laughs> so she decides to go to this brothel, and she's in disguise. Um, not a very good one, I might add. <laughs> and she decides, she goes there, and she's sitting at a table eating her meal, and the the server girl kate starts asking about like did you know hale brighton who's her father and the server girl's like um why are you asking me that (laughs) and she goes to get the owner of the brothel and her name is uh anise and anise is like you need to get the fuck out of here but come back tomorrow morning and don't wear that stupid disguise you look like an idiot 
Um, as she's sitting in this brothel, um, and it's, and it's late at night when she does this. Um, and mind you, Kate, oh fuck, I keep forgetting important parts. So also, you have after, notes on your phone. I know, I know. Utilize your phone. <laughs> so after, <laughs> so after, also after Kate, so we'll, we'll leap back a little bit. After Kate leaves the, uh, You're gonna make my editing so hard. <laughs> I know, I know. After Kate finds the ledger book, um, it's not, it's not jumping back that far. Um, after Kate finds the ledger book, Corwin, uh, Corwin comes in and he's like, um, or the next day she's, he's, he comes back for his, cause in the morning he's been bringing her sweet rolls and asking her if she wants to like go for a walk or something. And so the next day he's, he says after the shit happens with, in the stables, he's like, um, I heard what happened with Alistair Cade and Cade's like, I don't know what you're talking about. And Corwin's like, yeah, bullshit. Doll, his good friend, who's been hanging out a lot with Cine, they've been kind of getting it on, which is mm-hmm. cute, um, has been, uh, was going to the stables to, like, check in and saw you go into Alistair's office and saw what happens. Like, and then Corwin brings her to the stables again and he's like, how about instead, because um, you still need a job, how about I hire you to be my personal trainer for my new war horse because my other horse died when we were attacked by the Daydrakes. Um, and so he takes her to the pasture and there is his new horse. And next to it is this beautiful chestnut red horse, um, named Fire Dancer. And he's like, surprise, I also have a horse for you. Right. Cause Fire, I remember this cause I said, Rakasa, Rakasa yes. means Fire Dancer yes. in uh-huh. Arabic, which is the name of Diana's horse in A Discovery mm-hmm. of Bitches. Witches. Bitches. Yes. Bitches. Um, yeah. So that's like an important part. They also go on a ride into the woods. She kind of uses her ability. They find a pit full of daydrake surrounded by mage magic. Um, and these woods are supposed to hold the, the hell gate, which is where the night drakes originally came from. Very spooky. Um, so <laughs> back, <laughs> back to the thing. Kate is at the brothel and then all these men that are there start noticing her. And they're like, oh, fucking traitor Kate. She leaves. She thinks she's sneaking out the back, but these this group of men catches her, and she's running away from her, her them. They corner her, and they're, like, attacking her. They're kicking her. They're hitting her in the leg. Like, it's it's really bad. Like, she's being violently assaulted. Um, and she, she, in a moment, she's like, get off, get off. And then she says, like, let go. And for some reason, even though it's nighttime, her power like reaches out and she controls the minds of the guys and they all let her go. Right. And she's like, what the fuck? Like, she doesn't know how that happened. Doesn't matter. Works in mysterious ways. She hoofs it and she runs into Master Wraith. And she's like, ah, and he's like, come with me, come with me. And he's like helping her along and he gives her a mage stone to help her with the pain in her leg. And she's like, um, why are you helping helping me? And he's like, why wouldn't I help you? And she's like, well, you threatened me. He goes, when did I threaten you? And she goes, what you said to me, you know, on the, on the first day we got back, cause he whispered something in her ear after he saw her use her magic. And he's like, what did I say? You know, well, I didn't threaten you when I said that. And she goes like, you asked, you said you knew what I was. And he goes, well, what are you? And she's like, <laughs> you know, cause like, what right. if he doesn't think that she's what she is? You know, you gotta be careful. Um, while he's helping her along, they run into Corwin, who is off looking for Kate because he knows that she left the grounds of the castle. And uh, Wraith is like, I'll leave you to handle Kate. Uh, I'm going to go back to the League Hall. 
you guys have a nice night. So Kate, Kate gets up on his horse and she like kind of leans back into him. It's very soft, very cute. They're mm-hmm. definitely starting to feel things definitely for each other again. Um, and he, he takes her back. She goes into her room. She, sh- she bathes, she changes. Um, he's still there when she gets out and they're talking and the, he kisses her and it starts to get hot and heavy and I'm like, oh. <laughs> um, and uh, then they're like about to fuck. And he's like, breathlessly, he's like, be my paramour, which last time we recorded, Nicole, you did not know what that was. It I genuinely asked was like, what the fuck does that mean? <laughs> yeah. I think it can mean multiple things, but most commonly, it is basically a lover. It is, you know... Is that um, why the band Paramore is called that? I don't know. Look it up. Um, but in this case, in a lot of cases, it's like the... I think, I think it's a courtesan is like the other term for it. So you're like the, the royal lover, whatever. Anyway, um, king's whore. I don't know. Whatever you want to fucking call it. Oh, paramour um, is lover and often secret one that you're not married to. Yes. It's a French phrase. Mm-hmm. Um, par amour. Yep. So Meaning passionately or with desire. Yep. So he's like, be my paramour. And as he's saying it, he's like tracing his fingers over the moon belt that she's wearing. Because she's been wearing it this whole time. Because, you know, bitches don't want periods. They suck. Um, And so, and she's like, Ek, fucking excuse me. And he's like. Yeah, my paramour, like, when I get married, like, who cares about my wife will strike up an agreement. She goes, um, no. Also, she's she's a, she's a virgin. Like, she has this moon belt so that she doesn't get periods, but, like, she's never been with anybody. But, like I said, the, the connotation with those belts is that you sleep with a lot of people. Yeah. And so he, she's like, oh, he got the wrong idea, which is, like, fair, but also, what the fuck, dude? Like, we were basically together for, like, four years as, you know, youth. Um... And she's like, I don't want to share you with anybody. Would you want to share me, Corwin? And he's like, well, no. And she's like, right, so leave. Um, which is like, ouch, but I agree. Um, and she's like, and he, and she's basically, she's always said, like, if you win the Ur, you can be king. You can decide what you want to do with this. You know what I mean? Like, you can change the rules. You can, we could be together. And then he's like, I just, you know, it's, it's awkward. So the next morning, Kate goes... Kate goes to the uh, sacred sword and she uh, she goes in and the the it's empty now. And the owner comes up and she's like, Anise, she's like, come here, I want you to meet somebody. They go into the kitchen. They find the kitchen maid, Vianne, who's like older, but she still has that very pretty youthful glow about her. Mm-hmm. Um, and they go into one of the rooms that's covered in paneled in like paneled in mirrors they find the secret doorknob. They go down into the secret room below the sacred sword. It's made of stone and metal. And they're sitting at this table, Vianne and Kate, and like Anise is nearby. And this little boy runs out of this back room. And Kate's like, huh, what is happening? And basically, you find out that this little boy, Kieran, is Kate's half brother. So her dad had a child with Vianne, this uh, this sex worker. Um, she's now the kitchen maid, though, because, you know, she's got a son there and doesn't want to, you know. Um, 
so when when Kate's looking around, she doesn't understand why the room is made of metal and stone and why all the all the dolls look a little charred and stuff. And Vien's or yeah, Vien's like, well, you know, it's your father's fault that he's got this wilder magic. And she goes, well, I guess it's a little bit of my fault too. So both her and Kieran are wilders, and they have fire magic, so they're pirates. And Kate's like, whoa, 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 whoa. <laughs> And then, so there's, so you could be like a Pyrus, oh. an Earthist, a Hydrist, and then an Aerist. Um, and then there's, uh, you know, the people who can talk to animals. Uh, and then Kate's like, what the fuck is happening? And she's like, you're Wilders. And then a niece who owns the inn is like, or the brothel, she's like, I am also a Wilder. And she makes water come out of her hands. And, you're, and Kate's like, oh my God. And then Master Wraith comes out and you're like, what are you doing here, you fool? And he's like... Surprise, Kate. Welcome to the Rising Headquarters. What? <laughs> and Kate's like, oh. Yeah. And then second surprise, he's like, your father had the same gift you do as you know. I used to train him um, back when he was still alive because your gift also works on people. And it's called the sway. Ooh. And it means that you can, like, control people's minds, basically. Well, you can control, but also read, send images to, you know, all that kind of stuff. So Kate's like, oh my god, she also swore a thing of secrecy. She's in it now. Um, they get uh, or Bonner and Cine involved as well. Um, and then also, on top of all that, uh, Corwin, not Corwin, <laughs> uh, Kate and Bonner both get these little um, mage stones from Wraith that... Uh, allow them to practice their magic without it being picked up by, like, the guard stones, I guess you could say. So that's good. Yay. So now Bonner starts making all of these guns, and they're suddenly starting to work now. Um, all the different guns, because he's going through and he's, like, quickly fixing all of them that the other uh, blacksmiths are making. Um, so in her free time, Kate teaches Kieran how to she like takes him out and like teaches him how to ride a horse and the reason he lives underground is because his magic started showing up when he was like one when he couldn't control it and so they like keep him secret because if anybody knew that he could control uh fire that he'd be caught as a wilder his mom would then be caught everybody would be caught it'd be really really bad um even though he's just a kid because genocide is never cool and genocide does not discriminate by age or gender because it is awful yep um Yep, it's just terrible. Uh, so that's really sweet. And Kate immediately begins to care for her half-brother. Um, Corwin's in a meeting. And also, Kate and Corwin, it's it's very uncomfortable between them now. Not cute. Um, and also, this book, as it's going, there's a lot of, like, it goes over a long time. Like, they've been in Norgard for, like, a couple months at this point. Um so Corwin's in a meeting with his brother and all the different advisors and they're talking about population control in the city about which would cost more like giving and well Edwin's like well all the women have access to moon belts and Corwin and I think the master of trade master Renborn are like are like um yeah they have access to moon belts if they have a ton of money right like the people who don't who don't have the luxury of like having big houses and need this help are the ones who can't afford this. Like you need to make, you need to make birth control accessible to all people. What is basically a what, it, concept. what a concept. Um, and then the, 
the league master, master store, who's a snake, snake of a man is like, well, you know, you either have to cut down on defense or, or we can cut and we can cut down the price of moon belts or sorry, you'll have to figure out another way because basically, even though the league is rich as fuck, all they care about is money. It's really shitty. Hmm, um, sounds like a bunch of other politicians I know. Right? It's almost as if they don't care about people's rights. And Corwin is... this. I think this is part of why he won over my heart, is because he's got such a... He... Corwin is the type of guy whose political beliefs, if you talk to me about them in a bar, I'd be like... You'd be like, ooh, baby, talk <laughs> yeah. dirty to me. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> oh, yeah. Um, so, and Corwin's like, you can't just, like, make choices for people without even talking to them or consulting them or seeing what's best for them. You are making choices for people where it doesn't affect you. Right. Wow. Another very parallel plot to what's happening in our current world yeah like what the fuck um honestly i would not be surprised i don't know when this book was written i know when it was published it was published in 2018 but as for when it was written i wouldn't be surprised if this book a lot of the themes were products of the 2016 what, u.s of election 2016 2017 yeah mm-hmm. um so basically uh they're having this big argument about the different stuff and then there's one second i didn't tell you this last time either where edwin's like Somebody brings up the fact that a princess, I think, from a neighboring city, now that the Ur sign has appeared, they need the contract for her wedding to one of the brothers to be changed from being wed to Edwin, because he was in line now, to being wed to whoever it becomes the king. Um. Yeah, you did not mention that the last time? I did time? not mention and that. And now I feel cheated. <laughs> <laughs> so sorry, Nicole. Especially since um, I know how this fucking one ends. Yeah. You can't, yeah. Um, so, <laughs> basically, uh, it's really bad. Then, all of a sudden, this guy bursts through the door, and he's like, our city, our city, it's getting attacked by Daydrakes. Surprise, it's Doll's brother. Um, oh, yike. <laughs> yeah. Uh, he dies. Doll's brother dies. Then, Corwin's like, we have to go help their city, um, Thornhall. Uh, we have to go help them, because Doll's parents are the governors of that town. They're kind of both shit faces. Doll's the youngest of six brothers. Only the two are legitimate. Only the oldest two are legitimate. The younger four are not legitimate, probably. But the mom refuses to say anything because she doesn't want her sons to be able to confirm the rumors. His parents are really bad news bears. Like, he has no, he has no you know, prospects in regards to being in Thornhall. Um, Corin's like, okay, we need to go to that town. Um, Edwin's like, no, you can't do that. And Corwin's like, you're not the king yet. We are equals right now. I'm going. Corwin gathers an army. It's very hot. Um, Corwin gathers an army, like a small militia, and they go and they spend off. They save, uh, um, they save Thornhall. While they're there, Kate is able to use her powers kind of in secret on a whole group of Daydrakes. That are being kept hidden in a like illusioned entrance to this like cliff. Um, and she controls all of them and basically sends them out as unwilling slaughters on the altar of sacrifice to, you know, save save everybody, but also not draw suspicion to herself. Right. That she's controlling them. It's kinda of, it's a very interesting scene. It shows a lot of depth in her character that she feels guilty about sending them to slaughter, you know. Mm-hmm. Um, despite the fact that they would in the end kill people no matter what. Right. So um, and she also finds out that if she just connects to the mind of one, she can control all of them. 
Which is creepy. Um, which is creepy and cool. Also, um, yeah. So they get, so after they go to Thornhall and they figure out that something fishy's afoot, uh, the second Ur task happens. And in this task, there's basically this floating maze. It's a lot. <laughs> um, and Kate before, so Corwin's in his tent, like preparing before the task. And Kate goes in and is like, tonight after the task, no matter what happens, I need you to come to my room because I need to tell you something. Yeah. And and she, her intention is to tell him that she is a wilder. Man, because, that's not to get freaky. Yeah. Um, <laughs> and so, and because Master Wraith is like, I think Corwin will understand. I think he'll get it. Like, I think you're okay. He's an understanding person. He, you know, he cares for people. Blah, 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 blah. Um, also, we do find out that the reason Corwin was missing for all those two years was because he joined a mercenary group called the Shield Hawks that are, their main goal is to keep Seva, this empire that's across the sea from invading Rhyme and like keeping them from taking over because they're kind of a fucked up little empire. Um, so uh, also another thing that's kind of weighing on Kate's decision to do this, why it's taken her so long is that, Corwin and Edwin's mother was killed by a wilder by yeah. by association I guess you could say because they were in a town I don't know if it was in Norgard but a wilder decided to start setting fire to things and you know as an as an attack from what everybody thought at the time was the rising um and and Corwin's mother was like get up get up on this building you'll be safe up there and Corwin climbed up and by the time he turned around to pull his mother up she was being trampled to death by all the people fleeing which was so Corwin's very stressed out about that (laughs) um so the second task happens and it's a maze floating in the sky with different levels you kind of have to be very witty anyway Corwin wins he you your goal is to like collect the crown that's at the end Corwin does it he beats Edwin by seconds um, cause he kind of acts very fearlessly once he gets the hang of it. And as they're like coming down, Edwin is like, you won this round, but you will not win the crown. Edwin is very, f- I do not like him at all. He's a fucked up dude. Um, yeah, he's like, he, he's like, he's like, I will be the king, not you. And in your head, you're going, mm, that's why you won't be the king, fucker. <laughs> like, <laughs> um, so, so Edwin, uh, Edwin and Corwin go their separate ways, blah, 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 blah. Later that night. Corwin comes into Kate's room and he confesses that he loves her. And you're like, like ah! regardless of, you know, whatever. He's like, I love you. I'm sorry. I, I asked you to be my paramour. I understand how wrong that was now. Like, I really, I love you. I love you. I love you. We stand a boy, a character who is able yes. to see that they were in the wrong Thomas Cresswell and yes. build upon that. And maybe that's yes. why. You are soft on him. Like, I am soft, I am soft on the love him. of my life, Thomas Cresswell. I just, I like how, like, he seems like such a just person. Oh, my, whatever. Like okay, we'll talk, we'll talk about it. So, Kate is like, before you say anything again, you might not love me the same after I tell you what I'm about to tell you. Because bitch, it' about to get real. It's about to get. It's this is this is when shit hits the fan in the book. Um, ah, I'm sorry. Why? <laughs> <laughs> so Kate tells. Oh, wait, let me just find it again. Um, oh wow, I turned right to it. <laughs> she says, "I'm a wilder Corwin. I have a spirit gift. 
He went still, utterly, completely. Even his breathing halted. Kate felt her own breath double, her heart racing. Desperately, she wished to take it back, but there was no doing that now. Corwin let go of her hands and leaned back in the chair. Kate braced, already feeling the pain of rejection. Slowly, he turned his head toward the window. A faraway look crossed his face, the expression of a man lost in his thoughts and memories. Then, just as slowly, he turned back to her, not quite meeting her gaze. It's animals, isn't it? You can speak to them, control them. Yes, Kate said, barely able to respond for the coldness in his voice. How, how do you know? He raised his finger to his chin, tracing the scar there. I saw you use it. He nodded again, answering his own questions. On the road to Andreas, when you saved me from the Daedrics, I didn't remember until now, but your horse did things no horse should do. It listened to your command almost as if it were a human. Yes, that's right, Kate said, trying to find reassurance that so far he was keeping his promise not to react. He seemed calm enough and hadn't yet shouted for the gold robes to come arrest her. She saw no reason not to go on with the rest of it. He might not be able to love her as a wilder, but at least he would know the truth of who she was, and she refused to settle for less now. Um, so, anyway, he's handling it better than I thought he would. I thought we were going to have to have a redemption story for him, like, regretting his mistake. Ugh. But he actually handles it pretty well. Again, um, another Thomas Cresswell. Love it. I know. Um, so he, he basically, she, she kind of tells him everything that's happened and why she thinks that the mages are actually behind the Daedrakes, not the Wilders, because, um, she can feel that her magic is cut off when she was in the woods and when they found all the, all the Daedrakes being hidden away, like she could feel that her magic was cut off and that's something that only mages could do. Mm -hmm. Um, so I don't think you said that the last time. Yeah, so only mages could cut off another person's magic, which is why they're kind of so powerful despite the the wilders having this ability that can't necessarily be taken away from them. It can, like, be blocked. Also, mage magic, as Master Wraith said, works almost in the same way that wilder magic does in the sense that it doesn't work at night. Um, and also, the two are similar enough that when they come head-to-head, like two bullets firing at each other, they cancel each other out. So if two people were to like launch launch spells at each other, they would they would fizzle into nothing. Um so uh yeah, so it's it's not good. Um and he's like and Kate's Corwin's like, "Did your father have the gift?" and Kate's like, "Ooh, right." Yes. And Corwin's very like, "Huh, about that." And Kate's like, "Oh, and then there's the part where she says, um there we go right back here um he says kate uh let's see corwin glared down at her his anger finally arriving at in if in a different form than she'd anticipated does this secret concern what happened to my father kate bit her lip unsure how to respond how much was safe to share she'd never expected the conversation to turn this way i can't answer that but you've got to trust me when i say no one knows what happened that night between my father and yours not me and not wraith either i wish we did but we don't a muscle ticked in corwin's jaw how can i trust you kate when you've kept such things from me all this time that's not fair corwin you know it's not wilders are put to death just for being who we are we're hunted like animals tears burned in her eyes all the agony she felt for kieran and bonner for herself rising to the surface but wilder or no i'm still the same kate i've always been i'm still me and then corwin says corwin dropped his gaze as if he couldn't bear the sight of her he examined the ur mark on his palm tracing it with a finger then finally he looked up again the anger gone from his gaze his expression solemn you're right. I can see you had no choice, but you've got to understand how this looks. Knowing your father could do what he can, there's no telling what Corwin broke off, his features slackening into surprise. Then a wild, eager look rose in his eyes. 
but what you're saying isn't true. Someone does know what happened. Who? My father. He was there. He saw everything. So then Kate and Corwin, because she can read minds, they decide to go so she can read his father's mind. So Kate and Corwin go into his father's chambers and she goes in and she says it smells like like just putrid death, you know? Ew. Like she goes to go tap into the king's mind and the minute she does, she feels herself being pulled in like it's a trap. And the, <laughs> the mage, and then she looks down and he's wearing an orange mage stone on his neck. That is flashing, which means that it's alerting somebody that there is a wilder using magic there. (laughs) It's very bad. But Kate, as much as she can, she can't pull out of the king's head. And so she gets sucked in anyway, and she sees what happened that night. (laughs) So basically, her father, or that morning, I guess you could say, her father went to go convince King Orwin to not sanction the Inquisition. Because at this point, Kieran, Kate's brother, was three. And sanctioning right. the Inquisition would mean that he would definitely never have a chance at life, basically. Yes. So, Orwin, Orwin is like, I can't do that, I can't do that. Master Store and I agree, who's head of the League. He's like, Master Store and I agree, this is, you know, the Inquisition is best for all. Because obviously, Orwin's still upset that a Wilder murdered his wife, basically. Sure. Um, like it's under you can kind of understand where he's coming from, but all terrible decisions like this, all prejudiced decisions, are rooted in unjust fear, basically. Um, in life in general. Yeah, absolutely. Um, yeah, and so that's kind of where that's coming from. And Hale, Hale Brighton is like, I'm sorry to have to do this to you, but he he reaches out to touch, to like kind of sway the king's mind and when he when he does it the king just gets this eight like this shoot shot of pain shoots through his head and hale gets trapped like he gets ensnared in the same uh mage stone that's on his neck that's the one that kate gets entrapped in basically not like physically entrapped just like sucked in mentally um and hale hale rips the mage stone off of Orwin's neck and accidentally crushes it in his palm and out of it comes this black like oily greasy fog it goes into all the orifices of the king and the king and like because Kate's reading the king's mind she's understanding it from his perspective where he loses control of his body and all he feels is the need to kill Hale Brighton so he comes at him with a knife and they're fighting each other and Orwin's like I'm not controlling my body something else is controlling me (laughs) and Hale knocks the knife off away from uh from Orwin takes it and in defense hits him in the like stabs him in the thigh and just as that happens Corwin walks through the door (laughs) and then that's where the memory ends it's really bad news bears um and so Kate bursts back out of the dreams. In through the door comes Edwin, Master Store, and Maestra Vicus, who's a bitch. I hate her. Um, and they're like, a wilder. She's a wilder. And Kate's like, I don't know what you're talking about. I don't know what you're talking about. And Corwin, no, Corwin's like, what? No, 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 no. And they slam Kate to the ground. She slams her head against the cement and she black and she passes out. Yeah, it um, goes. Yeah. 
Uh, and they're like, take her. She needs to be purged, you know, basically. Like, we're going to put her to death, essentially. And then Edwin, the cunt, turns to, um, turns to Corwin and is like, you know that aiding and abetting a wilder is considered treason. And you're a traitor now. Yike. Edwin is the fucking worst. He is the fucking worst. So they're like, they're like, we're going to have to take you now for high treason. And, and Corwin's like, you can't do this. The Ur still stands. Your power is not above the power of the gods, basically. Like, you are not king yet. You are the prince. And, and Edwin's like, you're not the king. You're the prince. Like, put him, put him in chains. Put him in chains. <laughs> yeah. So, uh, Corwin gets locked in his room. We don't know what happens to Kate for a while. Um, after a couple days, Corwin finds out, Corwin, Edwin comes in and he's like, you know, we talked to the priestesses. I guess you can still compete in the Ur. You can go about your daily business, but you can't like, you know, you're going to have a blue guard with you at all time, at all times. And he, oh, and also you find out that after Kate was caught, they did a whole like test on the whole kingdom and found out that, uh, Bonner is also a wilder. So they took Bonner. And then they took Cine because they know that there's, she's involved somehow too. You're like, not Cine. Not Cine. They also, this part hurts me. They find out about the sacred sword because Corwin had been asking a guard to keep track of whenever Kate left the palace grounds because he just wanted to know what she was up to. And that helped them figure out that she was going to the sacred sword. So they bust in, they find Anise. And they find Vianne and they find Kieran and they take them all. Yeah. And they take them all. So Corwin's like, oh my fucking God, this is my fault. This is my fault. I mean, I'm like, you're not wrong, but also it's the government's fault. Um, So Corwin is allowed to go out with this guard. He goes to Dahl's room to go find him. And Dahl's like sitting in there with Master Wraith and... Corwin's like, uh, hello. Doll's like, come in. But you, you, Blue Guard, you have to stay outside. And the Blue Guard's like, uh, fuck no. And Master Wraith is like, come in. And then the minute he walks in the door, he's like, whoop-pow, and knocks him out. I'm um, so glad you had you do comic book noises sometimes. You're like, whoop-pow! <laughs> Ka-chow! Ka-chicka. 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 So they're all captured. Yeah, so they're all captured. And, and Wraith is like, wha-pow, and knocks out the one blue guard. So then uh, he's to Dahl and Corwin. He's like, okay, you guys need to go, and you need to go figure out where they are. We think they're they're in the woods. Um, I'm giving you these mage stones that are going to help you see through any illusions. Um, so basically, Corwin, uh, Corwin and Dahl go into the woods, and they go... They, they, the Wandering Woods is what it's called. And it's made of completely, like, white trees, which matches the cover of the book. But yes. this actual moment right here is a moment from the first trial. Um, the first error trial. Fun fact. That's on the cover of the book. Um, cool. Yeah. So, Kate, or, so Kate, we get to her, we cut to, like, her perspective now. Third person still, but her perspective. And she wakes up and she's trapped in a fucking box. With the collar on her neck. Like the collar that stops her from using her magic. Which made me want to throw up because I'm very claustrophobic. And the idea of being trapped in a box actually makes me want to jump out a window. I know. We did this with Carnival. Yeah. I just. (sighs) 
Who was trapped in a box in Carnival? She had the 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 <gasps> the cage. The cage. Oh my god. Yes. Yes. I forgot about the cage. Oh my god. Yep. Uh-huh. Oh my god. Uh-huh. Oh my god. Oh my god. Ooh. The worst. The actual worst. Oh god. Just give me the chills just thinking about it. Um. So yeah, so she's trapped in a box. Luckily, she gets out fairly soon, and they take her to this place, and it's actually called the Hellgate, and it almost looks like an amphitheater outside. And then um, there's a big stone tower, not tower, but like structure, we'll say the Great Stone like... Dragon. Oh my god! <laughs> and then the structure—it's like one. It's almost like one sheet of rock that makes it. There's no seams. There's no. Um, there's no uh, uh, like bricks. There's no mortar it's just one thing of rock there's no windows and just an entrance so obviously it's meant to keep both keep people out and keep people in so kate gets taken down into the i will say the cellars of this place and in it all along the walls are these cages that are meant for wilders and then up above there's these cages that are full of daydrakes that are being controlled yeah it's really bad so then, uh, in, put into a cage next to her is Bonner. Um, we don't know where Cine is at this point. And then put into a cage next to the other side of Kate is Vianne and, uh, and, uh, Kieran. And this is really fucked up because Kieran is like crying. He's screaming. I mean, how, how upsetting, how fucking upsetting, um, being taken from your family and put in a cage. Um, <laughs> Mm, that hit a little too close to home, but that's, <laughs> um, but yeah, he's, he's screaming and crying and the mages put a spell on him so that he can't speak and he can't make any noise, like he, further silencing him. It's, it's so messed up. It made me want to cry. Um, so then Maestro Vika is there and she's like basically putting people into different like classes. She's like, take these ones for purging take these ones here, get these ones ready for shipment. And then these ones, she says to like Bonner and Kate, like keep them here. And shipment, what you find out is that they're shipping all of these wilders over to the Seva Empire in order to build up an army there so that Seva can take over Rhyme. And they're building up a uh, wilder army. Which is hella fucked up. Slavery um, is fucked up in any form. Yeah. We love the themes yeah. that are in this book, though. We love... The, I mean, this book is so fucking relevant to today. And if this book had been written a few years ago, I would have been like, it's ahead of its time! But, like... Yeah, this is... Regardless, this is a good... Book. This is a good message. Read this book. Yeah, very good message. Um... So basically, uh, Kate's like, oh, fuck. Then Maester Vikas takes her and is like, takes Kate and is like, you're going to meet the Lord Ascender now. And the Lord just as, Ascender. Just as a side note, when it comes to the Ur, because this has to do with it. Um, Urs are very specific in the way they work. You cannot kill your Ur animal. The only people who could technically kill it are the, the heirs, you know, who are fighting for the crown. Um, oh. anybody else can, literally can't touch it. Like you, it, 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 they can touch it, but they can't hurt it. Um, as, as shown by the fact that there's a moment where Kate gets to meet it and it like nuzzles into her palm and it's very sweet and she can't reach its mind. That's something she notices about it, that she can't reach into its mind. 
Um, Could it nuzzle so, her hand because it knows that Corwin's the one that's supposed to be on the throne and that Kate's like supposed to be like the one that's next to him? I have a feeling. <laughs> um, you know, because there's something, there's something higher at play here. Um, but years ago, and something about the, you have to compete in the Ur as well. If, if, it, if the sign shows up, you have to compete no matter what. You can't not compete. Um, at the beginning of the book, we kind of learned that there was once upon a time, like I think great his Corwin's great, great grandfather, his trial. Um, there were three brothers. One of them. No, no, that was a different one. There was one time when one of them died. So like you can die in these trials, but then also one time, one of the brothers didn't want to compete. So we thought, and, uh, and his name gets stricken from the Royal record and he's just called the nameless one. Then we later find out from Master Renborn, who's Master of Trade, who's kind of been helping Corwin this whole time, that uh, the reason he was stricken from the thing truly was because he killed his error sign in order to stop the trials from happening. Didn't fucking work. He got stricken from the record. Um, so technically, so you like, shouldn't kill it regardless. No. Yeah, so like even though it. even though the boys it is, it is the a brothers sign from the goddess, it's like a direct disrespect to like right. the deity. But even though the brothers can kill it, they you should shouldn't. Not. Yes. Okay. Mm-hmm. But then there's also this thing where you're well, we'll get there. So Kate's like the Lord Ascender, and mind you, who do you think it's been this whole time? Up till now? Yes. I don't remember his name. Master Shadow. Store. Store, yeah. Yes. Shadow? Went with what I got. What went with my brain. Right on. Um, yeah, Master Store. The douche who was like, women don't get birthrights. And, you know, all that, that, that douche lord. The one who's like, money, money, money. Must be funny. I'm a rich man. <laughs> that's, that's it. <laughs> None of the rest of the song. He is a rich man. Um, because he's master of the league. So, they, it's, <laughs> Kate's like, and Maester Vicus is like, it's a very high honor to meet the Lord Ascender. And Kate's like, I've already met Master Store. I don't know what you're talking about. Um, she goes in and she's looking at this guy sitting on this throne. And she's like, what? that's not Master Store. Who the fuck is that? It's Master Rendborn. The guy who's been helping Corwin this whole time. The guy who said uh, that he, uh, that, that the old... The one error, like, killed the error sign. That guy who's been who's been helping them out. You also come to find out that Master Renborn is the nameless one. He is this long, long ago relative of Corwin who got stricken from the record. So the belief kind of is that the error sign holds all this power. What happens when you kill it? Where does that power go? Oh, we didn't talk about that last time. No, we didn't. So Master Renborn, or the Lord Ascender, or the Nameless One, lots of names for this guy, which is funny because he's the Nameless One, um, he can control water, fire, earth, air, but he can't do the sway. And the sway would make him all-powerful, basically, and which is what Kate has. So she's in the room, and she's like, you fucking you? And he's like, surprise. Um... <laughs> <laughs> And she looks over to the side, and there she sees Sine. And this part broke my fucking heart. 
because she looks over at her and she's tied to this chair. She's got huge gash on her face, bleeding all over the place. Like she's been fucking tortured. And her foot is being like crushed in like a vice, I'm pretty sure. Like it's it's really, really bad. Because um, basically, on top of the Wilder army, they want to supply Seva with these revolvers as weapons. And they know they have Bonner. But then they need the secret to the gunpowder that uh, Sine makes. And she won't tell them because Eshians always keep their secrets. I mean, we don't know literally anything about Sine except for the fact that she's a trustworthy, good person. Um, and so he's like, Kate, I'm going. He's like, I need you to go into her head and get out the secret for me. And Kate's like, uh, fuck no, baby. Um, but he does, in fact, force her to do it. Um you also find out that the reason that the Nameless One, Lord Ascender, Master Renborn, wants to help Seva is because all those years ago when he, when the crown got fucked up and he got stricken from the record, he's bitter against the empire, about, against his own family and his own royal family. He's angry. So he wants to help the bad guys to take over and have a part in that family and like, you know, basically rule the people who ruined his life, I guess you could say. Mm-hmm. Um, so Kate gets, Kate goes into Sine's head and after that she is taken and put back in her cage after she tells, and, and the Lord Ascender, he, the reason she goes into her head to get it is because he promises that he'll fix her up to the best of his ability, Sine, um, like heal her as much as he can. Her foot still, so she, <laughs> this is my favorite part. Uh, so Sine gets brought back to the cages because they're in a different room by these two guards and she's being dragged along. Her foot's still pretty fucked up. Her face is like healed, but there's a huge scar along it. Um, and the guards leave and Kate's like, oh my God, are you okay? And Sine's like, I could be better, but I've got a key. <laughs> so being the beautiful, lovely thief, pickpocket, magic, mysterious woman that she is, Sine manages to pickpocket the guards when they are carrying her out of the room to get the key to the collars. And once they have the collars off, who gives a fuck because Bonner can control metal so he can break open the bars of the, of the cells no matter what. So, <laughs> jump back to Corwin and Dahl. Corwin and Dahl. They uh, find uh, the place, the tower, where the Hellgate, where everybody's being held, and once they're there, they Wraith comes to them and he's like, surprise, I bought, I brought all the other Wilders. Surprise, in the city. motherfucker. Surprise, motherfucker. I brought all the other Wilders that can help us fight right now. And there are children. There are women with babies. There are pregnant women. There are men. Every sort of Wilder is there to help fight this. And it's like, I like the idea that like, it's not just men. And it's not just like grown women with no response, you know, no, quote unquote, no responsibilities. It's like it's pregnant women. It's children. It's women with babies strapped to their backs. It's you know people what I mean? fighting like, for their lives. Exactly. Exactly. Which is just so, ooh, so very powerful. So they're like, OK, we're going to go in and, and get them, you know. So Kate and Bonner and Sine break out of their cells. Bonner puts Sine on his back and all of a sudden they start, they hear an explosion and Kate's like, what the fuck? Because it's the gunpowder. And Sine's like, mm, yes, even when you read my mind, I told you fake information. I didn't give you, I told you what it was. I did not give him the right amounts. Mm. Which is just so cool about Sine's character that she has such mental resilience that even though Kate was reading her mind and they were kind of communicating, 
like but telepathically in that moment and and Sini's like we'll be fine we got this but when Kate read her mind Sini still managed to not to keep her secrets you know Mm -hmm. um and 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 tell her the false amount so that it would literally blow up in Renborn's face so Kate goes to Kate, Kate they all run out and then they start hearing like kind of explosions from up above and they're cl- they're going through this tower and they get to this place and there's all these holes in the wall and they and the the blues and the, all the different mages are trying to like stop the, you know the evil mages are trying to stop them and they go and they um and Kate Bonner and Cine run out of one of them and outside there's a huge battle going on between the mages and then the wilders and Corwin's there and all this stuff. And it's crazy. And Kate runs out and she's like, holy fuck. She tells, she uses her mind to take, to take control of the daydrakes that were then let out because of all this destruction and tell them to attack the mages. She's like, attack anyone in gold. And so the daydrakes do. And Corwin's like, oh my God, Kate. And she's like, oh my God, Corwin, you came for me. Which was very, very soft. Cause she was like, well, I, cause basically this whole time she's like, I'm on my own now. There's no way he's going to come after me. Like, she doesn't know what he said. After she dropped down in the king's chambers, he, she has no idea what he said. Um, so she, so they're fighting. And then the the mages are cutting down the daydrakes pretty quickly because, you know, they've been trained to control them. And uh, Kate turns around and she sees Maester Vicus, who is that bitch. And the reason her blood, Kate's blood starts to literally boil is because... Part of why Maester Vicus's power is so intense is that when her father was sent to be executed, that bitch drained him of all of the blood except for what he needed to survive being executed, if that makes sense. Like she, because, yeah, because if you take the blood from somebody living, the magic still remains in that blood, basically. Mm-hmm. So she's been wearing a pendant of her father's blood around her neck. Mm-hmm. Like what? And she had like the audacity to flaunt it to Kate. Yeah. Well, it's going to come back to bite her in the ass right now. So Kate's like, oh, fuck no, bitch. She picks up a magic, like a sword that's, you know, magic on the ground or whatever, and goes at her. And before that, she's like, all the drakes attack this bitch. Um, so the drakes are attacking her. The drakes are attacking her. Then Kate comes at her with a sword because Maester Vicus calls out all the mages to come and help her with these drakes. They do. And so Kate's like, fuck you. I'm going to kill you then. So Kate goes at her, they are fighting, they are fighting, and the mages use these maces that have, like, ruined magic on the base, like, on the base of the mace. (laughs) Um, (laughs) And they go, and they, and she's fighting her, she's fighting her, and Kate is just furiously attacking her. Every, every blow is one that is meant to kill. And Kate then, finally, slices off her hand, holding the mace, so she can't fight anymore. And then Kate, this, this part was so crazy. She reaches into the mind of Maester Vicus. She reaches in, goes deep down past all the pain. She takes it on. She like takes it in. She goes even past to the very center of her being and finds that like, you could almost say like the light that is her life, her existence. And Kate says like a, oh, fuck, I know I'm not going to read it. She's like, like a candle. She just blows it out. Like crazy. Just, I, it just, it, that part gave me chills. It was, I was like, oh my God. And, and you understand the anger. You really do. Um, and she just drops dead. So then Rendborn comes out and is like, uh, fuck no. You guys aren't going to get away with this. I'm going to kill all y'all. So he goes to go attack Kate and Corwin 
something in him is like, fuck no, fuck no. And the Ur sign on his palm lights up and it like- Like a Christmas connects, tree? Like a fucking Christmas like tree. Like my dead Christmas tree? No, actually it's like, you want to know what I thought of? Tell you me. know in the first Harry Potter movie when they zoom in on the baby's scar and like the little pre-part in the yeah. very first one dun, and then it goes dun, and, it's, dun, 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 and then it goes to like the big the big logo and stuff it looks like when this little scar lights up oh that's what i imagined on his palm so something in his ur sign connects to the other ur sign and um fucking it, it it connects to him and then he's able to like go into his head and like not torture him but like cause him pain and stop him from attacking kate and master renborn is so like what the fuck that he is like mages come with me and they fucking leave mages come with me <laughs> yeah so they so they yeet on out of there and kate and corn are like oh thank fucking god oh my god and all the wilders are like holy shit we did it um for my other headphone hold on um they're like oh my fucking god we actually did it we actually saved the day wait can you say something for a second hear me okay just need to see if i could hear you in your uh, in my other headphone. Um, so he's, yeah, so they, um, they go, uh, they're like, oh my God, holy shit, we did it. We actually, you know, took down these mages right now. So then Edwin and the guards come through the forest and Corwin's like, oh, thank God you're here. So it's, it's the league. The league is behind this. This is bad news. The wilders are okay. Like they're good people. We just defeated them. We killed all these daydrakes, you know, all this stuff. It's, you know, like, yay. And Edwin's like, um, you traitor boy, I gave you permission to leave your chambers and you still disobeyed me and joined up with these traitors, with these wilders. Um, and, and Corwin's like, what, what the, what the fuck is wrong with you, dude? Like literally what the fuck is wrong with you? Um, and Edwin's like, you, you, this is treason. And Corwin's like, are you listening to me? Are you listening to me? And Corwin and Edwin is like, okay, yes, Corwin, I hear you, but like, you're still a traitor. Master Store is like, we have to deal with Renborn. The corruption in the Inquisition will not stand. And so he's basically, he, they're making it all about like them, that it's still the fucking Wilder's fault, which is fucked up. Um, and then Edwin is like, yep, Corwin, move. We're going to kill all these Wilders, basically. So the captain raises his hand. All the soldiers pull out the revolvers that Bonner made. Um, and Corwin just looks at them. And then he's like, Edwin, listen, this is wrong. The Wilders aren't our, our enemies. I'm reading from the book right now. We need, the Wilders are a threat. They always have been. Nothing will ever change that. Edwin turned to his soldiers. Shoot around my brother if you must. Wait, Corwin held up his hand and stuck, took a step closer. I'm your prince and I say to put away your weapons. The soldiers hesitated, torn between the two heirs. Don't listen to him, Edwin shouted. He tugged on his horse's reins, wheeling the bay about. He's a traitor. Kill the wilders. Again, the soldiers hesitated. Even Captain Jail looked uncertain. Furious, Edwin drew the revolver at his hip and cocked the hammer. The barrel pointed at Francis, the wilder nearest him. Francis stared back. Hands flexed at his, flexed at his sides, his chin thrust out in defiance. Edwin raises, raised the gun, his finger tensed on the trigger. The gun split in two. Edwin flinched, watching the broken pieces fall to the ground. Those were never meant to kill humans, Bonner said. We love to hear it. So, uh, basically, Bonner disarms all of the, all of the guns. He breaks them. Um, 
So then, uh, this is your last chance, Edwin said through gritted teeth, a vein pulsed in his forehead, his cheeks flushed with anger. You must choose, Corwin, the wilders who killed our mother or your family, nor guard your birthright. Time seemed to slow around Corwin as he weighed the choices in his mind, feeling the burden of them, the absolute finality. He glanced behind him at Kate and the others, then he glanced down at the brand on his palm, remembering the way it had glowed and burned a moment before, pulsing with magic, with promise. In that moment, he understood. Edwin couldn't take this from him. He could label him a traitor, make whatever claims he wanted, spread whatever lies he wished, but he couldn't deny the error. The third trial waited for them both. No power of the gods could stop it. Short of the gods could stop it. Slowly, Corwin stretched out his hand behind him, fingers reaching for Kate. A moment later, he felt her hand slip into his. I choose them, Edwin. I choose the hundreds who have lived under the shadow of the Inquisition long enough. They are just as much people of rhyme as you are I, and I am their prince as well. Is that not the hottest line you've ever heard? <laughs> Sexy. Sexy. Okay, so Edwin is like, fuck you. I'm going to kill all of you now. So he pulls out his sword um, and all the other, all the other guards do as well. Cause they're like, fine, we'll just cut you all down. Um, and they're all on horses and they're, they take like three steps forward and Kate and okay, I'll just, who the fuck am I kidding? I'm just going to read it. Stop. Well, it was like, it's more like stop, you know? The scream came from behind Corwin. He felt the power in her, in the voice, the pressure in his mind. It rendered him still, incapable of moving, of doing anything besides listen. He watched Kate step around him to face Edwin and the soldiers, all of them frozen in place like living statues. She was doing this, same as she had sent the horses flying a moment before, controlling them all with her magic. The look on her face sent a shudder, arch, arcing down his, arching, arching down his spine, arcing down his spine. I don't know. Is it Murder arc, going- like A, A R C? No, it's arch. Okay, it's arch. Maybe it's arching. But it then. seems. Yeah. Because arcing would like, be A-R-C-I-N-G. Right. But it seems weird that it'd be arching down his back. But I guess that's a thing. Yeah, it's a thing. Yeah. Uh, murder gleamed in her eyes. There was too much white in them. Her teeth bared in a feral snarl. Kate, Corwin whispered, remembering the way she'd struck down Vicus with her magic. The only explanation for the way the woman had died. So sudden, like a candle snuffed by the wind. Don't. Don't kill them. Well, don't, and then don't kill them. He thought that he thought, but couldn't say the reality that she could do what uh, that she could send a tremble through him. But it wasn't what she could do, only what she would do—a choice not yet made. Spare them, Kate. He thought. Have mercy. Seconds passed. The forest still and silent. Tension crackled in the air. All of the men aware that they balanced on the edge of a knife point. Death a mere thought away. Finally, at last, Kate waved her hand. Sleep, she said. So she puts Yo. them all to sleep. <laughs> yep. Which I was like, ooh, that's some powerful shit. Um, and uh, and she, they basically like, all right, let's fucking shake, roll, and roll, you guys. Let's get on out of here. So all the Wilders, Kate, Corwin, Dahl, Cine, Bonner, all of our faves, not Kieran and Vianne, unfortunately, because they've already been taken and sent off to Seva. Um, they go and they hide into them. They go through the Jade Woods and they hide in the mountains and they create this little campfire and Wraith is with them. Um, they have, you know, magic and stuff. There's some other blues who are with them. So it's like, they've got this little community now. And Wraith is like, while they're all around the campfire, Wraith is like, okay, I think Corwin's going to go to Seva now. Who's going to come with him? Doll's like, uh, me, I can't believe you didn't ask me already, you little bitch, but I'm coming. (laughs) Um, and, uh, Bonner's like, I'm also coming, um, because, Oh God, I I forgot this last time too, but Bonner's dad, Thomas was killed by Renborn as a way of trying to control him. 
really fucked up. Yeah. Um, and then Kate's like, well, I'm coming too, obviously. Um, obviously. Which is obviously. Uh, another sweet moment that happens around the fire before we get to the very last moment of the book is that uh, Kate and Kate and Bonner and Cena are all sitting there. And what we, what we didn't really learn is that the reason Corwin had didn't believe he was worthy of the Ur is because when he was with the Shield Hawks, he was a captain and he led a group of soldiers or mercenaries into a situation that was a trap. They got ambushed. The only two that were left alive because of he thinks his choice to leave a kid alive who might have tattled on them um, is, is are him and Dahl. Only him and Dahl survived. And because of the attack, Dahl's face, the one side of his face is completely scarred and like, you know, burned and whatnot. And he wears a mage stone in his ear that makes his face look like perfect again because he's a handsome man. Um, and he and Cine obviously have been together and he keeps joking that they're just like, you know, fucking basically, but he definitely has major feelings for her. Um, and she has this huge scar down her face now and she's like, I kind of think it's badass. And so Dahl in this wholesome moment takes his mage stone out of his ear and tosses it into the river. Cause he's basically like, I don't need this societal standard of beauty anymore because that's not what matters. Right. What matters is that there's this girl who is very much into me and she, if she can bear her scar, so can I like, it's so many good fucking messages in this book anyway. So then Kate and Corwin, he, he's like, you know, come with, come with me. Um, and they go into this little clearing of woods uh, that's on the edge of where they have the mage stone set up and it's like the only privacy they can get. Um, so here we go. The last, the last page of the book. Corwin stopped and faced her. I'm sorry for all the things I didn't do, Kate, he began. She opened her mouth in protest, but he placed a gentle finger against her mouth. Please let me finish and then you can scream all you want. I will stand here and savor every minute of the abuse. With blush heating her, with a blush heating her face, Kate pressed her lips together and waited. You were right. I should have done everything I could to let your father go into exile. I should have believed you when he said he was innocent. I was blinded by the idea that the king, that, that to be a king was to obey and that the laws were some fixed, holy thing, unchangeable, irrefutable in their wisdom. But they aren't. The world changes. The wheels spins and we so we must change as well that is what it means to lead finding wisdom the wisdom to bring change when it's needed and to hold fast when it's not thank you for helping me learn this truth the world is black and white and all the shades of gray in between kate thought she held her breath her confession sliding his confession sliding over her like stepping into a warm pool of water soothing and welcome she remembered that moment when he begged her not to use her power to kill edwin and the others how close she'd come but he pulled her back despite his doubt and fear he lifted her up or maybe we lifted each other you never answered my question, though, Corwin said, pulling a thought her out of her thoughts. What question? She asked, breathless. This part sent chills through my body. Whether or not you'll have me, he stepped closer, their bodies nearly touching. I love you, Kate Brighton. I always have. I, I'm yours however you want. As prince or pauper, husband or paramour, that power belongs to you and only you. Kate stared up at him, her mouth falling open. She could see he meant every word, and there was a deeper meaning behind his words, one she sensed as clearly as if she'd spoken as if he'd spoken them out loud, that he accepted her in the same way, as she was without question. Traitor, wilder, woman. Kate. Just Kate. With no words to offer him in return, she re answered him the only way she knew how, with a kiss, the first of many, as long as their perilous future would allow. And that's the end of Onyx and Ivory. <laughs> Yay! <laughs> The good news is that a lot of that was sidetracks and shit that can be cut. So, 
but yeah, so any any questions that you remember from yesterday or that you have for me or It was two days or... ago, but um, I, know. I think the one that we really, because we, what we talked about the most, obviously, is that there's a lot of themes in here, um, yeah. and I don't think we really need to go into detail. Like, we could just name them off real quick. What right. would you say are all the themes? Feminism, access to birth control, universal health care. <laughs> Not actually that last one. Um, gun control, uh... People in government positions making choices for the people they lead without actually knowing what's best for them. like Or considering um, them in the conversation. Yeah, mm-hmm. capitalism and corruption in government. Um, uh, leadership and what it means to be a leader. Yeah, uh, that last line that he, like, when he's yeah. saying that speech, I was literally sitting there like, that's, like, not just pretty words. That's not, like, just pretty words. Like, yeah, that's, that's, like, like, a legit. That's some legit shit. Yeah, <laughs> like, that's really mm-hmm. what it means. Yeah. Oh, for sure, to, like, learn from your mistakes and learn that not everything is the same, that you must change with your times. Uh, prejudice is a theme. Persecution is a theme. Literally genocide. Oh, yeah, those, those um, two. I, 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 like, um, understanding people's differences, how fear can shape the mind, how, how rumors and universal beliefs can affect, you know, the reality of life. I mean, I mean there's so many excellent themes in this book. Another excellent theme, how great horses are. Um. <laughs> okay, so kind of bouncing into that, I'm going to take a little bit from question 12 and, like, reframe mm-hmm. it. Yeah. But, like, mm-hmm. I know where your political views are. I know us. Yes. We've had the conversation. I, mean, I don't know if you can tell by literally every time I've talked about politics on this podcast. Well, but. right. But even so, mm-hmm. like, me and you have had, like, in-depth conversations right. about it. Yeah, that yeah, actually that one, worked that really great, well, by the way. Great conversation. And normally, I don't talk about politics with friends, so, like, mm-hmm. it was a really good conversation for me. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And neither of us were, like, super drunk, and it was, like, really good. Anyway. Mm-hmm. So, did... <laughs> As opposed to usually when we're wasted. Right. <laughs> <laughs> so, <laughs> do you feel... Mm-hmm. differently maybe more strongly about certain things that are part of this book and does it empower you to want more writers to kind of take other mediums like fantasy and, mm-hmm. and push the limit with what they can do with it yes okay so oh i love that question. i wouldn't say oh, that it on. like <laughs> i wouldn't say that it changed my view on anything because as you know i'm a very yeah exactly per- like i feel very strongly that everybody deserves rights right. and every i mean i i mean you you know yeah. i i feel v- people deserve to be treated like fucking people yeah does this and, book and push you to want that more even more than yes. normal yes it like it it also it gave me a glimmer of hope that like there are people reading this content and and ingraining this into you know you know we weaving it in to um to to books and like and media and stuff because i feel like so often now you only hear about like political you know political shows or like um not shows but like displays of political beliefs or like a great example is the the, um the the, what's the book that uh angie she literally just like oh my god it's the the, the, oh my god they made a movie about it and freaking kj appa was in it oh the hate you give the hate you give like things like the yes. hate you give which by the way fabulous book yeah fabulous book. exactly and like and um and well and also just like like it's always like films and television and stuff and a lot of times it's, it's like female creators and like uh, creators of color you know like all this kind of stuff that like i i don't know like i feel like it's always that sort of stuff whereas like 
there's something about the fact that like anybody can write. Yeah. Anybody can put words on paper. Anyone can cook. Anyone can cook. <laughs> God damn it. It always comes back to Ratatouille. But but like Sex the idea but the fact that anybody can write and anybody can can put these stories together that that eloqu- you know that display all these beliefs and and kind of show you know this there there might be a 14 year old out there who's reading this book and who maybe hasn't really doesn't really know what she believes yet and and that's fine that's fine i didn't figure out what i fucking believed until college you know yeah but like the fact and i'm that still figuring out what i agree with yeah. and what i disagree with same same and and the fact that there's a book like this that's like it's not telling you what you should believe it's putting things very black and white like here's what's happening and and it and it's also like i feel like the the the, the themes that are in here are not things that are very easily debated it's the it's the themes that are in here are simply about the fact that you need to treat a person like a person and value their life no matter what gender they are, what color they are, what abilities they have. Right. Like because ableism is just as much a problem as racism, as sexism. I mean, it's it's all there and I think this this book it just it, it gives me hope and it also makes me want to like go out and like find more books like this yeah. where like where these themes are are woven into the into the book and into the story so eloquently as well yeah i think that's probably one of like the reason why i by the way everyone after madison told me this the first time Mm -hmm. like literally yesterday i purchased the book it's coming it'll be here i think on friday for amazon so good i'm really excited to read it and the one thing that really stuck out to me is the fact that Mm -hmm. there's all these themes and like we've talked so much about themes Mm -hmm. on this show we talked about discovery witches at the end of the day was about segregation like how the fuck that like was woven in so beautifully Mm -hmm. without it being like straight up said until the very last book Mm -hmm. but like that was the underlying theme yeah if you're a writer and you're out there and you're listening to our show because you love reading books like we do yeah please really consider like trying to weave that the things that you are passionate about into your writing Mm -hmm. because it is important for us to see these things from different perspectives because sometimes being able to step into a different world and see something and understand like from your viewpoint that wow Mm -hmm. that's not okay is actually better than being able to notice it in like the real world because it allows you to say something like it allows you to be able to express yourself without the fear of being judged by other people because that's Mm -hmm. out there this country right now the united states is in a lot of trauma with with Mm -hmm. with everything that happened in 2016 and before that Mm -hmm. and i think we've talked about this me and you Mm -hmm. a lot of what we notice with like the polls and stuff with younger people not going to the polls as much Mm -hmm. a lot of that is because some people may feel burned by what happened or some of them don't feel like their voice matters whatever the Mm -hmm. fuck that it is this is my long way of saying Please make sure you go out to vote in the polls. It's so important that regardless of what your viewpoint is, we just want you to go out and use that voice. Because because people always talk about, like, freedom of speech and freedom of religion and all those rights. But voting is a right. Yeah. You have a right to vote in this country. I think ours is the 18th Amendment, right? Women? I'm pretty sure. Yeah. Yeah. I I think women right to vote is It happened 100 years ago this year. I know. And the other sad thing about that is, too... Mm -hmm. We know, like Madison and I know, we are white women. So we know mm-hmm. that there are we there have... were black women that were not given the right to vote until much, no. much, much later. Mm-hmm. And that is we, we as white women are are privileged. Yeah. 
and I have no room to say that I understand, you know, discrimination based on like, cause I really don't, I really don't. All I know is discrimination against, you know, being a woman. Yeah. You know, but, but, other, it, it, but, but you can still know that it's wrong. Yeah. And you can still call it out when you see it. You might not understand it, but you can still call it out and know that it is wrong. Yeah. And this, this book, I just, it, it makes me so happy because on top of that, like on top of all the themes, just cause I know we, we touched on this the last time mm-hmm. we recorded, but the other thing that I found really important about this book was the complexity of the characters. Yeah. Because Kate Brighton is one of the most, the I think one of the best high fantasy female characters that I've seen oh, in a long time. We did talk about that. You're right. I remember now. Yes. Mm-hmm. Because she, she's not so often, I mean, the Katnesses of the world, the, you know, the Trisses, they're all so fucking jaded and cold. There's no humor. They never smile. They're always like, the world harmed them and they were born like this and they're going to be like this and nobody's going to break them. They're going to learn to love them for their, for their coldness. You know what I mean? Right. And that's and, okay and, to learn to love yourself for yes, that reason. Yeah, we're not absolutely. saying that it's not. But it's absolutely. so often but we see like, the same character over and over. Yeah, but it's almost it's almost like another manic pixie dream girl type trope of the cold, jaded female badass. Yeah. You know what I mean? And and I think one of the beautiful things about this story is that Kate, Kate has had a lot of fucking hardship in her life. Mm-hmm. But she also understands that she's not alone. She has Bonner, who who tickles her and makes her laugh. And like and she's not like mad about it in the sense that like I can't believe you made me laugh but she's like don't fucking tickle me that's annoying yeah you know and like and she has seen a who who supports her and their friends and stuff and she's not alone and even when she starts to talk to Corwin again because you know this is a breakup story basically yeah. this is a, this is a story about her getting to know her ex again and all the things that come with you know it's like that's that's woven into the plot is that this is her having to literally spend all her time with her ex but as they're like you know, as they're talking to each other right away, like he's he'll say something that that will make her smile, and it, that's not something that's like a negative thing or like oh so out of the blue. It's more of like every time he's like oh god I love that smile like basically, and and she she laughs and she has fun and she has good days and she loves to ride and there's she even though she's upset it's okay. So the way the way I described it last time because I remember we were talking about this was like the the example. So many female characters are hardened. Mm-hmm. She is toughened. Yeah. Because there's not, it's not like a shell. It's not an armor that they wear 20, that they wear 24 seven. That's in so many other YA books. That is what the, the strong female character is. They are hardened to the outside world. They don't let people in. They don't, you know, they just want to be closed off. They want to be, you know, covered dark. Whereas Kate is toughened. So she, she has emotions and she shows them and she cries and she, she laughs, but she also has used her, her pain and her trauma to toughen her, to not harden her to the world, to toughen her. So that way when people, when people, you know, at the relay in the beginning, when they call her traitor Kate and make snark, you know, snarky comments at her, she doesn't just, you know, she, she's not like, oh, fuck you or whatever. Like, she's like, oh my God, this guy again. But then she goes and she has a great time with Cine and she laughs with Bon. You know, it's just, it's such, she's such a complex character. I fucking love it. This whole book is amazing. Last time I rated five out of five. Still do. I'm so glad. This book's, 
This book's fucking amazing. Yeah, um, Onyx and Ivory is a fantastic book. I think everybody should read it. It came out in 2018. The second book came out in June of 2019. It's called Shadow and Flame. From what I understand, this is a duology. I don't know because I haven't read the other book, but it sounded like this is a duology. Um, but it is called The Rhyme Chronicles. That's oh, cool. what the series is called. So if there's more books, I don't know, but I've looked online and I haven't seen anything else about it. Yeah. So that's 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 the thesis. Cool. Well, we're going to stop. We're going to pause for a second. Mm-hmm. We're going to be literally back in a second for you. Um, but, but we're going to stop for the tomorrow. night and we're going to talk more about mm-hmm. my book in just a quick second. And we love to see it. Yeah. Um, okay. Okay. It's been a second since you guys last heard yeah. us. Okay. It's been a second since you guys last heard us mm-hmm. in our world. Well, it's been literally a second since you guys last heard us. It's been a figurative a second for us. since <laughs> we recorded last. This is our, I I thought that episode five was the cursed episode. I think it's 16. I think it might be episode 16. Sweet 16. Ooh. Aw. Aw. You know, everybody has those problems when you're 16. <laughs> Uh, for those yeah. of you who want to know, uh, you can go on our Patreon and there will be an exclusive little part to take <laughs> fails <laughs> for episode it's 16. It's like, it's, it's, it's the novella for <laughs> episode 16. <laughs> uh, it will be in, I think, it, I think bloopers are involved in our first or second tier. I think it's in the $5 the month tier. I think so as well. Um, so, so this is our... Fourth. Third time. Fourth. We've recorded this. Well, but it's the third time because before oh, yeah. we just agreed to record my part. But this is the third time trying to get your part. But in this here. is the fourth time we're recording some part of episode 16. I, I literally cannot. <laughs> well, and like yesterday, we were like on the track for it to be okay. Except for the fact that like I was dog sitting and my house is not dog like friendly. I mean, it's dog friendly. But like, it's not like it's a house stuff. of horrors for dogs. <laughs> yeah, right. <laughs> it's just it's just like a normal house for like for people who didn't have animals growing up. Like I had a hamster. I had hamsters. Yep. That's what I had. Hamsters and fish, you know, things that could be contained. Right. Um, and uh, and this dog, he's not exactly we. Um, oh, he's almost the opposite we of we as in small. I was like, we. <laughs> he's not we. we what we. is that? We. We. I, I hear you now. At first, I was like, I didn't get. We don't gotta worry about nothing. All right, we gotta I'm jump so in. We good. gotta do it because I'm sleepy. Okay. <clears throat> okay. So so, but <laughs> we should do that every Smack time. Pass. We should do like a instead of a booty slap, it's a book slap. <laughs> okay. Cover slap. Cover slap. What? Okay. So we have <laughs> this week. We are rounding off. A discovery of bitches. Uh, yep. <laughs> discovery of witches. Uh, th- the thing about this one is, and we'll talk about it at the end, this is technically not even the last one, but it's another, se- it's a sequel yeah. to the trilogy. Ow, what the fuck? Did you see me hit myself in the head with the book? What the fuck? <laughs> oh my god, okay, 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 so I swear to god. Okay, so this is called Times Convert by Deborah Harkness. Same author. I keep wanting to say covenant. Because they have a covenant. I, mm-hmm. Upsetty spaghetti. Uh, <clears throat> okay, yeah. so, back of the book. What does it take to become a vampire? I've read this now three times. <laughs> I've heard this so many times. This is, yeah, three times. Okay. Okay. 
I don't even want to read the back. <laughs> you have to read the back, Nicole. You have to do okay, it. Okay, okay. When Matthew declares... <laughs> when Matthew de Claremont means Marcus McNeil... Uh, fuck this. On the battlefields of the American Revolution, he offers the young surgeon... I don't hate this book as much as I really want to hate this book. A young surgeon... <laughs> well, the best part about it is that your least favorite, and you've had to talk about it so much. <laughs> life free from restraints of his puritanical upbringing a life as a vampire and it sounded so good yesterday marcus seizes the opportunity but finds the ancient traditions of the claremont family clash with his deeply held beliefs in liberty and equality and his transformation is a challenging one (laughs) okay 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 in contemporary paris uh, Phoebe Taylor, the young employee at <laughs> Sotheby's, which I still don't know if I'm pronouncing that right. Uh, who Mark Sotheby's is right. Okay, cool. Who Marcus has fallen for is about to embark on her own journey to immortality. I love one arrow from Twilight goes <laughs> immortality. <laughs> <laughs> also, have you ever seen? <laughs> have you ever seen Prodigal Son? He's in that. He's in that. He's the dad. He's a serial Michael killer Sheen? in Prodigal Son. Good. Don't know what it is. It's it's a movie about a movie, he's, a TV show about a serial killer, and he's a serial killer, and his son is an, an FBI agent, and he has to like hunt out. Oh, you've told yeah, me I about this. It. Yes. Um. Oh no, you didn't tell me about this. Karen and Georgia told me about this. Yeah, and then the last time we talked about this, I, I know we've talked about this on the show because I had brought have. up the Two Girls One Ghost podcast. And yes. the one of the girls, I believe Sabrina, wrote one of the the season, the winter season finale or winter winter finale for the episode. Ooh. It was really good. It was a really good finale too. Well, I was gonna say that actor who plays Arrow is also in. He plays Aziraphale in. Yes. Um, Angels. Good omens. Thank you. Which I was gonna say Angels and of, Demons. <laughs> Angels of Demons is the Da Vinci Code sequel. Yes, by Dan Brown. Uh-huh. Yeah. Uh-huh. <laughs> Sorry, Tommy. Ooh, um, I love. No, no. <laughs> I would do nasty things to Tom Hanks. <laughs> Nicole. <laughs> oh, my God. <laughs> it's Tom Hanks, you're not, you're not setting yourself up well on this podcast because <laughs> episode nine, you're like, Colin Firth. <laughs> <laughs> Everybody at home is going, let's play a fun game. How many times does Nicole reveal she's got daddy issues? <laughs> Drink. I have a great relationship with my father. I don't know why this happens to me, to be fair. I have no source of, like, this is I'm, this is going to have to do. I don't know who this is, but I got no source of refreshment. But, yeah, um, good Good Omens is, like, the best. It is such a good show. The book... I've only gotten a little bit of the way into it. It's also amazing. It is just like the show, which is... Go- Neil Gaiman, just as a quick note, and then you can go on. I don't even care. Neil Ga- <laughs> I do, I Neil do. Gaiman is like Wes Anderson for like Books. D&D people. D&D people. <laughs> <laughs> well, do you know what I mean? Because I don't want to say nerds, because like film nerds, you know, that kind of stuff. But it's like... Neil Gaiman is Wes Anderson for people who like fantasy genres. Sure. Okay. Uh, the the yeah. back of the book doesn't matter. Continue. The rest of the back of the book doesn't matter. We're just gonna jump in. Fuck it. 
Okay. You can really go, you can go online to Goodreads or Amazon <laughs> and, read the, and read the back of the book. No matter what, I'm telling you the fucking story anyway, so it doesn't really matter what the back yeah. of the book says. Uh, <laughs> we're just here to, we're just here to have fun. Okay. Mm-hmm. So, uh, I hate this. Like before, <laughs> so like before, this book is told from multiple perspectives. Uh, it starts off with Phoebe and her parents and her sister having dinner at Matthew's sister's Freya, her fucking house. Uh, they're having her last meal. Freya, by the way, is this like six foot blonde. Wait, wait, wait. Shot. Let me guess. Let me guess. Let me guess. Is that his his aunt? Matthews? No. Marcus. Marcus, yes. It's his. I'm just being a dick. I know. Even though I said Matthew's sister, yeah, you knew it was his aunt. Yeah. <laughs> uh, uh, Freya's like, I think, I can't remember if she's Romanian royalty or some type of, she's a royal. We just don't know from what. <laughs> she's like a princess or some shit. And you're like, how the fuck did you become, a, like, who? How? So she's having her last meal with her family. <laughs> yeah, her fam's like sort of supportive. Sort of mm-hmm. supportive, meaning like her mom and her sister are like, yeah, we're on board. Like, we get it. Her dad's like, I'm not here for this, but it's the last night, so I can't really change it's your, your mind. life. Yeah. And they've already like argued a bunch of times well, up before this. And they this. can still see each other. I mean, not really. Like, yes, you can, but like, not really. Because, like, when right, you're a newborn, but... we'll get into the canon about that. Right, but later in life, I mean... Many of them will be dead. <laughs> well, okay, but, but... Go on, I'm about to argue with you about something that you haven't talked about yet. Go oh, on. okay, yeah, you're right. <laughs> Freya's job is to help yeah. teach Phoebe how to be a vampire while she's a newborn. And mm-hmm. also, while Phoebe, like, is... Tur- like, when Phoebe gets turned, from that moment... For the next 90 days, her and Marcus have to be separated. It's a stupid fucking tradition, and Marcus goes a bit stir-crazy. And during her, like, transformation night or whatever, uh, she he, like, runs, runs <laughs> to, uh, tries to run to France, and Matthew catches him, and he's like, get the fuck back he home. Tr- he tries to run to France? Well, they're, in, they're already in France, but he's, like, trying to run to Paris. <laughs> Just, like, Robocop. <laughs> Just imagine him. <laughs> Have you you've seen you've seen the show, the, the the scene where Matthew Good has to run into the library while they're doing the witch win, and he's like all over the place. I was like, <laughs> I was like who let did, Matthew Good run? I, I didn't notice that uh, when that. <laughs> there's a handful of episode, moments because I've watched the show so first. many times. Like the one uh-huh. where he's in the car with Marcus in episode one, where he goes, "Christ, Marcus!" Is- <laughs> oh my god it's one of my favorite scenes oh my god 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 okay okay, okay. i mean okay okay agree so Diane- my favorite is when benvolio is there <laughs> i love shakespeare <laughs> just kidding he's kind of a douche <laughs> love shakespeare okay diana and matthew are in ah, i love romano cheese <laughs> Diana and Matthew. And Juliet. I love Shakespeare. I hate you. Uh, okay, okay. So Diana and Matthew are also in France, obviously. Obviously, since Matthew ran and got him. Uh, yep. so. <laughs> no, he ran across the ocean like Dashiell Parr. <laughs> Dashiell Robo Parr. What? Parr. <laughs> Dashiell Robert Parr. 
That's his name, right? <laughs> Ew. Imagine if we got to, you know how we see people will have like nicknames for their first name? What if, what if when we said our names, I could be like Madison Elizabeth Fry or I could be Maddie Liz Fry. Ooh. 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 Oh. They, so Diana and Matthew are in France. They're in their home near Siptor. They have the twins. Yes. The twins are like probably two-ish. They're like one and a half, two-ish. Um, mm-hmm. Becca and Philip can now talk a little bit. Uh, I think last time I mentioned that, like Becca and Becca calls Philip Pip because she can't say like Philip, and adorables. And they always they always have to be together all the time. Becca's the jealous one out of the two of them, um, mm-hmm. but she does get a lot of attention. That so I don't know. I feel bad for Philip in some cases. Um, <laughs> so they also seem to have some of their powers kind of coming in. Uh, Phoebe mm-hmm. gets turned by Miriam. Uh, they pick Miriam off of this, like, huge fuck, well, not huge list, but, like, a very exclusive list of, like, people that can sire because they, what you don't want, what Philippe de Claremont did not want was, like, incest in his family lines. Can that happen? It's, you're sharing the same blood. So he really, he didn't want mates to share the same blood. Okay. So, yeah, there, she's picked... From a well, line. and I also guess that with the whole blood rage thing, it would. Yeah, that too. But be I think at this point they must have tested Phoebe to know because, like, we learned at the end of book three, like the way that you have a blood rage vampire is from the demon right. blood. So they probably would have tested her at this point and mm-hmm. made it very clear, like, Mary Miriam's probably one of the best options. Plus, Miriam's been friends of the family for like fucking centuries. Ever. I like the idea. Of her in, like, old-timey garb. Yeah. Because in the show, she's so badass. I love that, too, because one of the cool things about Miriam's character is that she's literally always been this badass from the start. Uh, One of the Mm -hmm. things that makes me really sad, so when when Phoebe gets to do this transformation, the whole concept Mm -hmm. is all of your blood as a human is drained, and then you feed from your maker, so Miriam. And you still, like, there's, like, blood magic. They talk about that in the first three books, too. Um, you see a person's, like, memories through their blood. So by sharing mm-hmm. the blood with each other, uh, Phoebe is able to see Miriam's life. And one of the things she notices is that Miriam had other children. She had sons to protect her because sons were easier to take with you during the 1800s to protect you from things like, oh, I don't know, rape. Yep. And that mm-hmm. made me so sad. Because I'm like, even as a vampire, Miriam still has to, like, be protected yeah. by a man in that time period. It just upsets me so much. It's frightening. Fuck Well, because people. Lord knows that if she didn't have a guy to protect her and she defended herself, people would throw her in fucking prison. Right. Dude, right. <laughs> fuck you. So. Fuck you. Uh, she also sees that Miriam had a couple of daughters, two daughters, I think. The one daughter um, got killed by a jealous mate, and the other daughter mm. had children that were trying to determine who was going to take over, like, as the matriarch or, the, the or like, the head of the family if their maker yeah. had died, and they ended up killing like her. Oh, so she was killed up. by her own children. One was killed by her own mate. Um, Miriam's mate died protecting Matthew during the Crusades uh, because he killed Eleanor so St. Ledger. Oh, too. yeah, she's old as shit. Because we, we know when the Crusades were because of Scarlet. <laughs> yes, we do. Uh, so she killed 
or sorry, Matthew killed Eleanor St. Ledger, and because of that, um, I can't remember his, it's, I think it's Bertrand, is his name? Bertrand? She calls him Ori, so I don't remember really exactly what his name is. <laughs> Uh, but he, he, <laughs> the names in these books, <laughs> he promise he Do makes Miriam promise to protect Matthew because he's the one that takes the fall for killing Eleanor mm-hmm. and he's then killed, but he makes Miriam promise to always watch over Matthew. So that's why Miriam has always been with Matthew is because that was his, mm-hmm. that was her mate's dying wish. And she will never refuse that. Like what the Ugh. fuck? Miriam has a sad story. I love her. I love her. I love her. Strong female her. woman. Okay. So. As opposed to a st- strong female. <laughs> that there's, well, you know. Uh, well. We, let's not get into I'm that. I'm going to. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Um, so she gets these memories. She sees the memories. And also we, what we kind of see here, too, is that there's this very mother-like presence now about Miriam, which before it was just always this badass. It's like super strong you know, mm-hmm. scientist who, like, is revered by a lot of people. Not many people don't know who she is directly because, like, the vampires mm-hmm. that are scientists, which is a lot of them, they obviously mm-hmm. have a lot of time to sit there and find research and they'll, you know, get rid of one identity and pick up another. So a lot of their pictures mm-hmm. aren't, like, on things. Circulated. Yeah, so she's still revered, though, mm-hmm. because one of my favorite things that Chris from the book three, Diana's best friend, says, when he mm-hmm. finds out who Miriam is, he's like, wait a minute, the Miriam Shepherd who, like, came up with all this stuff? And she's like, yes, that's me. And I was like, oh, my God. <gasps> badass. So. <clears throat> badass, bitch. I like that, Um, like, vampires are, like, scientists and, like, medical people and, like, demons are. Creatives. Um, creatives and i feel like the witches are all healers like history yeah and like yeah and like english you know yeah. they're, <laughs> profe- they're professors yeah absolutely a lot of them yeah. are professors mm-hmm. um or like a lot of them are historians yes but there's also mm-hmm. a lot that are just like general healers because like sarah mm-hmm. is known for like potions and she's that's what her craft is mostly she's they say that she's got more mm-hmm. elemental magic so like more grounded to like earth and yeah. she has mm-hmm. a lot of, like, she's able to do a lot of, like, really complex sleeping spells and love potions. Like, all the stuff that you would think of that, like, that's traditional witch kind of lore. Mm-hmm. Um, and then you yeah. have other witches like Diana's parents and Peter Knox who are just, like, scholars. And you're like, dope. I yeah. love the complex system that is this world. Yes. So, so good. Phoebe, like all new vampires, struggles with her changes. Um, she walks too fast. She breaks things too easily. Uh, she even like tears up this bedspread because she's like trying to smooth out a wrinkle. And what she doesn't realize is how much strength she has. So she like basically like tears it to shreds <laughs> just by like smoothing it out. Like it's kind of crazy how yeah. they kind like one of the, like, we talked about this the last time we recorded this, but we talked about yeah. how in Twilight you have this concept of like super strength and it's shown through an uh, arm yeah, wrestle. Newborn strength. Yeah. In, mm-hmm. With Emmett. Exactly. And this, it's different. It's, it's, they're teaching her how to be a new person and they do it very slowly, like over like the 30 plus days before she like all the mm-hmm. stuff that happens later on. So she like has to learn yeah. how to walk. And she, like, kneels at one point, and she dents the floor. And, like, she's very cognizant mm-hmm. of what's happening. One of the crazy things, I think we mentioned this, is they have 
the ability to see like the exact molecules that I remember you mentioned this because you had said something crazy. Yes. The molecules that are in light that you can see vibrating in Freya even goes, it's kind of crazy said, that they figured that, that out. And you were like, what? yes. Well, Freya's like, it's, it's funny that it took humans so long to figure out that light is a moving or light is a living thing. And I was like, Ooh, Freya coming at you with a hard question. Yeah. Um, so, in Diana and Matthew's, like, area, world, I don't know, I don't call it world, it's, like, literally just where they are in France, um, they are watching yeah. over Marcus while he's, you know, struggling with a separation, uh, Diana begins to, like, pepper him with questions about his life before being a vampire, and this is because Diana being a weaver, she's able to see all these, like, strands on him, every, every person has mm-hmm. them, and they're all kind of dick and indicative like what your feelings are so one of the ones that she sees is like time is like on him all the constantly and the reason being is because he's constantly thinking about the like the past while he's in Mm -hmm. france worried about phoebe so Mm -hmm. she starts to pepper him with these questions and mind you one of like the biggest things with vampire lore is that you're not supposed to like ask a vampire what their real name is when they were turned how old they are none of those questions because it's supposed to be like the vampire story and you're not supposed to be mm-hmm. the you're not supposed to be intruding it's seen as like a disrespect so diana right, like you want them to tell you them you you want them to tell you their name yeah and usually it's usually close family so like matthew tells diana his life because they're mates right and you know right. a little bit about isabeau because of some of the things that happened in the thing but we don't know her whole story we just know like how she was right. created and all of that stuff is still kind of like it's, it, it has to be told by that person. Uh, so mm-hmm. he starts to tie, Marcus starts to tell her a little bit. And one of the first things we learn about is that Marcus's father was a soldier in, I believe, the French and Indian War. Um, and after the war, he became a drunk and rather abusive to his wife and his children, um, which seems to be why Marcus doesn't really like rules because in 17, I want to say he was born in like 1767. Something mm-hmm. like that. Uh, he is, he's very much, oh, Jesus Christ, my cat. I'm oh, sorry. Uh, uh, he's very much, like, not a fan of having to be obedient to a, a, an authority a figure, mm-hmm. which ends up getting him in trouble. So Diana d- sees these <laughs> threads of time, and one day while mm-hmm. Marcus is, like, hanging out with her and the children, um, Philip mm-hmm. takes a hold of one of the threads the like the thread of time and he messes with it a little mm-hmm. bit and the crazy thing is is like marcus is sitting there and he's like I, philip messes with time and marcus is like i could hear you but i couldn't see you all i could see was the past and i was like oh that's cool so like something that you that could like do cool. with like messing with the thread but basically it's basically him being taken back there without actually having the time walk so right. he could still he was still in the present. His body was still in the present, but his mind was somewhere else. Right, but he's experiencing it like it's like VR. Exactly. Uh so mm-hmm. this leads Diana to the conclusion that Philip and or both of the twins are weavers. Um, <laughs> which kind of scares the shit out of Matthew and Diana because, you know, if they have the ability to time or if Diana has the ability <laughs> to time walk, that most likely means Philip does. And like, could you imagine a small child? Just somewhere in time. <laughs> just and they're like I, sitting honestly, there like, where the fuck did the baby go? I I said this last time, but oh god, you almost just fell off. Um 
the idea of like in Jack Jack Attack. Yes. The baby just like floating between the portals in between. That's like what I'm picturing, and I'm really. I agree. For it. I I fully support it. Um, so Diana and Matthew kind of argue about. Diana not using her magic because one of the things that's happened once again is Diana has not been utilizing her magic around the children and usually and just not in general like for the last year since everything went down she just hasn't been using her magic and Matthew said that she kind of had promised him to do that to like show that that but Matthew's showing who he is as a vampire. Like, he took the ch- children hunting. He's like, I'm not hiding who I am. Stop hiding who you are. You promised we weren't going to do that. And she tells him that she doesn't want the twins to be afraid of magic because she remembers her mom, like, scrying and these huge wraiths coming out of the bowl and, like, being all over the room and, like, Diana freaking out and, like, her parents and her hiding in her bed. And she's like, I just don't want that to be what my kids remember of magic. And eventually... Mm-hmm. Diana chooses. How, go ahead. How do you take two-year-olds hunting? So it's very similar to how you take a real person hunting, uh, or like a regular person hunting. You put them. I, I've never been hunting. I wouldn't. Well, know. okay. Like you saw the show, how like Isabeau took her out and was like, "Stay here, don't move." So like she probably went with Diana. Probably went with them. It wasn't just all. Oh, of, okay. It was probably like a family outing. All right, because I was like, "Are you just like pop the two-year-olds on the ground?" Well, and great. You have to remember you too later. that both. Philip and Rebecca do have a tendency to crave blood because they are part vampire. So Mm -hmm. they may or may not have hunted with him in the same regard, Mm -hmm. like smaller animals. That'd be the cutest thing I've ever seen. And also so I was going to say that's kind of scary, (laughs) but also just being like, ah, (laughs) like a little two year old toddling. So eventually Diana (laughs) does perform um, some magic. She kind of resolves to do this. And honestly, that I think that's just a common thing throughout the whole books is like Diana constantly turning her back on what she is. Um, even though in book mm-hmm. three, she was like, I have no more fear. And yet and now she's got fear again. Like fucking a mm-hmm. so close yet so far. So she performs a small little bit of magic. She gets like a flower out of her hand and the children are like, ah, and Cute. my favorite part was like, so she's just sitting outside on this little picnic blanket with the kids and she like does the flower and the kids are like in aw- awed by it and Matthew comes out and he goes I thought I smelled magic and then the four of them just had this little like moment together and I was like oh so soft that's so wholesome. I love it so I love we've said this before but I love seeing parents or like our favorite characters be parents as parents a la LJ <laughs> yeah <laughs> really just does it yeah. so well um so Diana also begins to compile pieces of history that she can pull out of Marcus's narratives to, like, kind mm-hmm. of tie everything back together. Um, yeah. Through this, she finds some letters from Galloglass to Philippe in 19, or not 19, 1775 from Massachusetts. So Galloglass was in Massachusetts at that time writing to Philippe. Likely they're on a mission. I can't remember exactly what the letter said. Um, but because of this, mm-hmm. we get a little flashback to Marcus's life in 1775. And um, Marcus is planning to run away from home and join the militia because now everything's starting to happen within the Continental Army. Um, his father catches him and he sends him home. And two months later, Marcus decides to uh, go out again and he ends up in Cambridge. Um, and then he just kind of is like thrown into like a battle 
he's like now somewhat a part of the Continental Army. Um, and during this, he ends up shooting uh, a, like a younger British soldier. And it's a really, we talked about this last time because of the fucking uh, muskets, <laughs> like the ripping and the shoving. Wait, 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 wait. So what's his name? Cody? Colby? No, that's so that the guy that you're referencing. So there's a guy standing next to him and that guy gets shot. After Marcus shoots okay. this younger British soldier. And at that moment okay. when Marcus kills this guy, he's like, oh, shit. Like that kind of like feeling. And he's like, I just killed somebody's son. Like he has this moment yeah. of like, you know, humanity. He's like, I just killed somebody's son. Like there's a family across the sea literally who will wake up tomorrow and not have a child. And I was like, ooh, Marcus. Yep. Damn. All war. <laughs> All war. Uh, so mm-hmm. he watches the friend die. His name is Cole. Um, he also meets the Sarah Bishop of the past, who is like who Diana's aunt resembles. Um, mm-hmm. She teaches him how to set the broken leg, like he mentions in book one. And you find out that the man that she's working on is a proctor. And we're like, oh my God, yes, proctors! Oh my God. Because that is Diana's aunt. So basically, both of Diana's ancestors literally right next to each other. Um, mm hmm. So then we go back to, like, Phoebe in, in Paris with Miriam. Um, Miriam brings her her first animal to, like, feed off of. And what they tell her up front is af- when you go to feed for the first time from an animal, not just your maker, because up until, like, this point in time she's just been taking blood from Miriam, um, mm-hmm. you will most likely just kill the animal. Like, it won't survive. Uh, so mm-hmm. she basically – Miriam puts the cat down, and she's like, all right, Phoebe, like – you have to do this. We're leaving. Like, everybody in the house is gone. So nobody can help you. You have to feed for yourself. Otherwise, you're going to die. Like, that's that's how this goes. If you mm-hmm. don't feed, you're going to die. Yep. And she's like, for the love of God, don't name the cat. So the cat comes out of the cage. It's a little scared at first, but, like, after a few hours, starts to, like, cozy on up to Phoebe. And the longer and longer Phoebe's with it, she's just, like, not really wanting to kill it. Like, remembering that she's going mm-hmm. to. Um, what she ends up doing eventually after, like, I think, like, 12 hours... Uh, she gives mm-hmm. the cat some of her blood, which puts the cat into, like, a sleep, and she's able to feed off of it and then give the cat more blood and then feed off of it again, and she ends up not killing it. So uh, Freya and Miriam come back in, and they're like, okay, where's the body? <laughs> and she's like, or they're, first they're like, did you feed? And Miriam, and did you kill the cat? And she's like, Phoebe's like, no, uh, I did not. I fed, and... Uh, I didn't kill the cat. Here's the fucking cat. And Freya's like, holy shit, you saved it. She goes, this is Persephone. You're like, what the fuck? (laughs) So Miriam's like, you named the goddamn cat. Anyway, now we go back over to, uh, I think it's St. Lucien is the the town that they're in. I think that's what it is. Because I remember it being from when they were, where it said Septor, St. Lucien on um, book two. So I remember that being the thing. So I think that's where they are. Anyway, uh, in the house, Diana, her her aunt Sarah and Agatha Wilson come and visit. Stop fucking looking at me. And uh, Agatha Wilson and Sarah are there. And Sarah comes down to see um, Diana. By the way, one of my favorite things about this book is that Diana can see more ghosts in the house. And so she's in the library ah. and there are ghosts. They're like old, old medieval ghosts moving books mm-hmm. around in the library. And she's like, could you guys at least organize these by like historical date or something? Because they're just moving them around. Wait, which library? Like in her, in yes, her house? Yes, in their house. Oh, that's my, that's my actual dream. Yeah. Is to have, I had a friend, um, 
She moved to Switzerland when we were in sixth grade, so we kind of stopped being friends after that. I mean, that's a hard that's a hard uh, bridge to get over is when your friend in sixth grade moves to Switzerland. Um, but in their house, they had like the coolest house. I mean, it had secret tunnels. It looked it's the one on the corner that looked like a castle yeah. when you came and visited me. And in if you went in the front door of their house, the one room off to the side, it was like a tall ceilinged room, floor to ceiling like cherry wood bookshelves, filled with books. A fireplace, I believe, and um, maybe, and then and then like a huge desk and reading chairs. I was that's like, my dream too. This is my dream. my dream. This is what this is literally my dream. It's my dream. That that scene from uh, Transformers Two where they go to like I've oh my god, anybody who has this is a great scene. They they go in to see the guy who used to be part of the Sector Seven, and they're talking to him, and he looks back at the guy that's working at this meat shop. He goes. I can't remember what the guy's name mm-hmm. is, but he's like, do you want your teeth? You want that Christmas present? You want that Christmas bonus for your teeth? And he goes, it's my dream. And that's how I feel every time. <laughs> every, every time. I want, a, I want a home library so bad. It is part of my requirements for any house we get that I have somewhere where I can have like a small, whether it's a nook, whether it's just the basement, whatever it is, I want a space where I can have my library. Oh, I am also of the firm beliefs that books are decor, too. I agree. You know? No, I agree. I agree. But at the same time, there are certain books that I, like, wouldn't want being decor in my house. Sure. Like, my Harry Potter books, yes. Because they're, like, you know, childhood thing, you know. But, like, I wouldn't necessarily want to display my Mortal Instruments books, like, all over you the house. You probably don't want a shit ton of panty turners just on the coffee table. Exact. Imagine. <laughs> Uh, okay so diana is in the library sarah comes in she goes um when did you guys get a griffin she goes excuse me (laughs) she's like what do you mean (laughs) and so they go and they figure out that there's this just this griffin in the house and diana realizes that this is likely philip's familiar because philip performed his first spell and so mm-hmm. Matthew comes in. He's like, there's a fucking griffin in the pantry. What the fuck? <laughs> and Diana's like, uh, pretty sure. It's my favorite children's <laughs> right. book. It's pretty. <laughs> I'm pretty sure it's <laughs> Phillip's familiar. And he's like, but they're not supposed to. What? She's like, we don't know much about Brightborn, so I don't know. Mm-hmm. Um, so anyway, they, they, they go out to like the barn where they have like the horses and stuff and philip goes up to the griffin and like they, it's confirmed that like oh this is his familiar and what if it just went <laughs> and just oh, killed yeah, him? well they were nervous they were nervous <laughs> um so because your familiar is like your they, diana refers to it as like your witch's training wheels the familiar has mm-hmm. to tell you its name in order for it to be right. named. It, it can't be like, you just pick a name. It can't be fluffy. Like, it's not how it works. Mm-hmm. Uh, so Philip goes up to it, and he, like, learns what the name is. And, and Diana says, okay, Philip, like, what's what's the griffin's name? What's his name? And he's like, I can't tell. Secret. And she's like, okay, well, why don't you tell daddy? So he went back at, he went back at Matthew, and he goes, Paolo. And you're like, what? And Matthew, like, looks dead at Diana and is like, the bird's Sing name, me, the bird's name <laughs> is Apollo, and you're like, ah, shit, because of course, yep. being a twin and having mm-hmm. your fucking bird griffin name Apollo likely means some shit's gonna happen. So mm-hmm. everyone goes upstairs, Apollo included, 
and uh, Philippe's ghost appears, and they and Philippe tells Diana about the three things Apollo is known for. So one is the liar, and mm-hmm. th- which is, uh, symbolizes celestial harmony. The second is a griffin, which shows terrestrial power, so like on Earth. And then the arrows, which symbolize that he's an infernal god and harmful, which excuse me, which is why he's called the destroyer. And you're like, ah, ha, ha, what the fuck? Which is funny because I think that's interesting because like Apollo, like Artemis is the one who's known for using a bow and arrow. Yeah, his just one of his symbols is just arrows, like the arrows itself. Right. So. Mm-hmm. The, those surprise when when you told me those last time the like choice of symbols surprised me. I don't and just I don't knowing know. about Greek mythology, right? And I don't know if this is something that because I mean you know De- Deborah Harkness does a ton of research for these books, so I have no clue mm-hmm. where she got this information to pull from it. Um, but I literally right. when I when I saw this section, I was like, I'm gonna write down everything that they say because I think it's important. And of course. Mm-hmm. Matthew and Diana look at this and they're like, this is a little scary. Matthew's like, mm-hmm. I don't want Philip to have, like, to be controlled by the goddess. I don't want him to have to be, like, a destroyer, like, any of those things. And Apollo, mm-hmm. um, he wants Apollo gone. So Diana's like, well, we can't do that. She's like, if we do that, we're essentially spellbinding him. Like, I would, it'd be yeah. easier for us to just spellbind him than to get rid of his familiar because it's not going to do anything for us. Um, mm-hmm. and so they, they agree not to do that. They agree to let Apollo be. But one of the things I remembered is that prophecy mm-hmm. that Mary Diana, I literally just now I'm thinking about it. Mary Diana said where it's be- mm-hmm. beware the, beware the oh. witch of the blood of the lion and the wolf for they will be the destroyer of the children of the night. And mind you mm-hmm. in book one. One of the things mm-hmm. that Matthew was kind of, ref- like, symbolized with is a fucking wolf. Because oh, he studied wolves forever. And he calls Diana Malion. And he also, he also... Oh, that's... Yeah. Yeah, so mm-hmm. he calls her Malion. And he, um... There's also some, like, reference between Philippe being, like, a lion as well. And because Philippe made Diana his blood-sworn da- daughter, like, and it's kind also- of similar to, like that mm-hmm. so yeah. i'm hoping that that's why there's more coming because like that prophecy has never been nothing's been fulfilled there yet right we just yeah. know that these are the and children of diana and matthew I mean, even in the show it was a big enough thing to include several times and i feel like often on these like really well-produced shows that are based off of like adult fiction yeah. um the author consults she is she's very much with, involved like, with like me and she could maybe be telling them stuff that's coming hundred percent hundred percent because they could have i mean i mean including the gal glass book they could have five five seasons i mean yeah mm-hmm. that's if they did that Maybe. they've confirmed three um right. the cool thing about you know they can even have the third one be extended who the fuck knows but mm-hmm. um the cool thing about deborah harkness being involved is there are like little things on amc where you can actually see her like notes about the episode Oh, yeah, it's like a cool. behind the scenes. Um, mm-hmm. So anyway, anyway, um, we get another flashback to Marcus's life where he's because at this point he's telling his story to Diana and Sarah and Agatha Wilson, and we see Sarah Bishop from nineteen or seventeen seventy five. Keep saying nineteen seventy five. I fucking hate that. Um, seventeen seventy five. Um, 
and Marcus was told by Sarah Bishop back then to go home, learn medicine, because they're going to need surgeons mm-hmm. in the war. And so he does head home. Uh, when he goes home, it's about a year later. And on July 4th, 1776, uh, the people of Boston weren't like he, his town is called Hadley, which is in Massachusetts. It's not far from Boston, so I believe. Um, mm-hmm. He says the people of Boston weren't really celebrating the signing of the Declaration of Independence, which was happening, I believe, in Philadelphia at the time, right? It was in Pennsylvania, for sure. Yeah. Yeah. They, they signed, yeah, because Independence Hall is in exactly. Philadelphia. Exactly. So, um, yeah. I've been there. They're not doing, they're not celebrating the Declaration of Independence because nobody fucking knows what's happening in Boston at this point in time. Um, right. But they're celebrating this ban that has been lifted um, of smallpox inoculation because up until that point in mm-hmm. time, um, it was, like, illegal to inoculate yourself with smallpox. So because of all of this, uh, Marcus decides he's going to inoculate himself with smallpox because he wants to go back into the war. And at this point in time, the Continental Army is, like, literally dying off because of smallpox. So, And they're not accepting mm-hmm. any new people while the smallpox is going through. You have to prove that you've had the disease. So Marcus has a friend. He, he's a black man. His name is Zeb Pruitt. Um, Mm -hmm. Zeb is currently has smallpox really badly. Uh, and Mm -hmm. so Marcus goes to see him and he's like, all right, I'm going to do this. So he, (sighs) I'm so sorry. He, we did this last time. He like cuts his arm and he gets real close Mm -hmm. to the sores and he gets the smallpox inoculated into him. Um, I don't, mm. I know it almost kills Marcus. It takes him like a full 10 days to recover. Um, but when he does, he's totally okay. Like he's like ready to go. Also, mind you, one yeah. of the things that Matthew does before they time walk uh, in book one is inoculate Diana with smallpox because here in the U.S., we stopped mm-hmm. doing smallpox inoculations in, like, 1970. Like, my dad's one of the last people to get, like, a smallpox vac- like vaccine. Oh, so we could definitely get smallpox. If it came back, yeah. But we well, do. Corona's got it covered right but now. But we do so. have that vaccine, so if we did need to right. re- replicate mm-hmm. it, we could. Um, but as of right mm-hmm. now, smallpox is pretty much gone from the, at least the U.S. Yep. I don't know about everywhere. I think it's pretty. I've pretty seen simple. things that it's that it's popping up in other places. I'm not again. surprised. Um, Neither am I. But yeah, he gives her like a ton of different shots, like a bunch of di- like yellow fever. Mm-hmm. I think is one that he gives her, like just to make sure she doesn't get yeah. sick while they're there. Um, right. And the crazy thing about this is my dad has it on his arm and you can see the little mark where it made the, where the inoculation is. Uh, anyway. So at this point, um, Marcus goes home cause he like is staying where Zeb is and he's in this like house that mm-hmm. basically was abandoned, um, by people. I, I think the older woman had lived there. The widow had like died. And so Zeb was staying in the house to stay away from everybody else. So nobody else in the town got smallpox. Um, so Marcus mm-hmm. is at that building, you know, getting better. So when he goes home, he finds out that his father has just returned from selling like wood, which took this man about two weeks, I guess. Um, and when he's like basically in the backyard or like behind the house, he hears his father yelling at his mom and then he, he hears his mom getting hit. And he mm-hmm. basically he runs into the barn where he has hidden his gun and he's like, Dad, come outside. And then he shoots his dad and kills him. Oh. Um, and we laughed at this I mean... last time. But they tell him he has to go. Like, Zeb and 
this other man named Joseph. They tell oh, him he has right. to go because he shot his father on a Sunday and nobody shoots on a Sabbath. <laughs> so And I'm oh my god, okay. I I understand that it's for the plot. Like I get it. I get that it's for the plot, but just I mean, they didn't have like DNA testing. It could not have been that reliable. Like and if it's if it's around July then it means it's fucking hot as fuck then like you should be like it happened on this day in the morning and then we were trying to figure out how to get a hold of the police it was hot out it's august like july but yes <laughs> well but but i don't know how much later this part only takes place only 10 days from when, only 10 days from the inauguration yeah only 10 okay. days it's literally he like wakes yeah, up 10 so, days later and goes home yeah yeah so like so like you know yeah, I know. I don't know. I, I just get figured out there were better ways to do that, but I understand it moves the plot forward. Yeah. Uh, so basically, Marcus, like, has to leave. Um, Zeb and Joshua promise to look after Marcus's mom and sister patients. I hate that fucking name. Uh, Marcus Me heads off. To... Marcus heads off to Pennsylvania, I believe he says. Uh, and he starts to go by this name, Galen Chauncey. Uh, Chauncey is his mother's maiden name, and his mom always made this comment that he was more of a Chauncey than a um, McNeil, so uh, Mm -hmm. he just kind of, like, takes that name up. Um, While Marcus is in Philadelphia, he joins this group of people called the Associators, and he becomes known as Doc because he, like, can do some medical stuff. Like, he actually, like, one of the first things that they show in 1775, so before this is happening, um, Mm -hmm. is that he was frequently going to one of the doctors in town getting like medicines to help his Mm -hmm. mom and his sister and uh different types of like herbal remedies to like heal things because like they were being beaten so he knows how to make some of these things so he's being called doc because these people like salves and whatnot yes exactly poltice anyway uh (laughs) so uh, There's a plant that's native to Michigan that grows in most parks. I don't remember which one. So, um, but if you chew it and then take the poultice that you've made and put it on your mosquito bites, it'll stop the itching and make the swelling go down. Oh my god, I'm looking that up. I'm literally looking mm-hmm. it up. I went being being the bitch that I am. About two summers ago, I went and took a wild plant seminar I hate you. I at the park. This. <laughs> I almost passed out because I was really tired from going to the beach during the day, but it was fun. Uh, so while they're in Philadelphia, mm-hmm. Marcus meets Matthew, <clears throat> who's going by Cavalier de Clermont. And I don't know what that means. Like, I don't know what that what that title means in, like, mm-hmm. French uh, bullshit re- re- like regimes. I don't know what that means. So I couldn't tell you. He's probably some type of, like the fuck he's probably some type of like higher ranking official but he also means um lafayette what is it um a cavalier is a supporter of king charles the first in english in the english civil war fascinating it's also why the fuck would they call him that a horseman especially a cavalryman Oh, that could probably be it, because Matthew is mm-hmm. very known for being on horseback. Also, a dashing and attentive man, especially when acting as a lady's escort. Oh, he's escorting I Lafayette. Use, <laughs> I could use me a cavalier. Same. Uh, so you meet Lafayette, like, Lafayette, like that kind of guy. 
Lafayette. Uh, yeah, the shorty. Yeah, absolutely. Oh, no, that was Napoleon. <laughs> yes, that was. Um, Napoleon was the weest of all the weest men. Weest of men. Uh, anyway, so they, he's, Marcus stays with them. Actually, Marcus tends to Lafayette's wounds during, like, the first meeting, uh, and he stays with Matthew and Lafayette and this other doctor who actually, like, pulled him away from Philadelphia, mm-hmm. and that's when he, like, meets Matthew and and yeah. uh, Lafayette. And uh, eventually, Matthew and Lafayette leave for another battle. So, mm-hmm. in the present, Phoebe is still struggling. I th- think at this point she's only, like, maybe 21 days old. Um, mm-hmm. She has to drink these different types of blood. So, like, to basically find what she prefers um, yeah. outside of this cat that she has. Pick your poison. Uh, she does... She she loses her temper a little bit because she's seen like how Miriam's treating this almost like a science experiment, and she's like got this little mm-hmm. clipboard and she's like checking off the things that Phoebe doesn't mm-hmm. like, and Phoebe gets irritated by that because she thinks it's not very motherly, and um, what really Miriam's doing is trying to like find out what she wants, and that's unbeknownst mm-hmm. to Phoebe. So Phoebe throws a temper tantrum. She like breaks like all these like really nice crystals glasses that Freya has. And Miriam loses her shit, and she's like, you will apologize to Freya right the fuck now. And Freya's like, no, no, Miriam, it's, it's fine. And she goes, no, it's not fine. And I was like, oh, God, oh, God, oh, God, this is a temper situation. Um, mm-hmm. Anyway, she discovers that she's the, one of the only blood that she likes outside of the cat is middle-aged white females. <laughs> so the Karens. Um, the Karens. This is a vintage Karen. Yep. Aged, aged 45 in years. oak barrel, yes. so it's got a nice buttery taste. Ooh, uh, no, that's true. If your wine, Callie taught me this. I didn't learn this myself. My friend Callie, who works at a vineyard. Um, if if your wine has a buttery taste to it, it means it was aged in oak. Interesting. Mm-hmm. Uh, so a few days later. Just call me Amanda Jacobson. Right. A f- right. <laughs> a few days later, um, Phoebe has this like sexual awakening. Because at this point in time, like her body's, her body literally is going through the same stages that you go through adolescence, just quicker. Oh so she has this like sexual awakening, and that sounds like a fucking nightmare. Uh, it, 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 my understanding from what Marcus says in his section and what Phoebe says in hers mm-hmm. is it's like literally craving the like wanting to have sex every single second of the day. So mm-hmm. in this sexual awakening, she essentially is like mm-hmm. every every cell in her body just craves to like have sex and Francois who is from book two mm-hmm. she's like been with Freya for like yeah. years as like one of her like like servants um mm-hmm. and Francois actually has like this whole conversation Wait, Francois was in book two yes yeah right? she has this whole conversation with Phoebe about like how Francois's job has always been to be a servant she's like when I was in, I think she was from France as well. She's like, when I was in France, mm-hmm. all I ever had was, all I ever knew before I was a vampire was being dirt, well, being dirt, was being dirty and <laughs> always wanting to eat. And now I have this life bigger than that where I don't have to be afraid of being, you know, fed because I can mm-hmm. get that wherever. And now I have a purpose in life or this is what my, this is my job for the rest of my life. And she kind of like makes this, you know, distinction that not every vampire has 
has to be like the Declaremonts where they just do like every vampire does something right like Matthew does like his science and so does Marcus and Miriam mm-hmm. Isabeau is at home all the time just like chilling right um she's who I want to be right. she reads a ton. I want to live in my castle yeah. all the time um, just read a bunch so Phoebe and love. her have this conversation, but Francois interrupts her this day on this sexual awakening day. And mm-hmm. she's like, you know, we all know you have these fucking phones for you and Marcus. They're like disposable cell phones. And she's like, I'm going to leave. You could call him. Nobody's going to be here. So mm-hmm. she calls him. And she and he's like, he, he always calls her sweetheart, which is like the cutest thing ever. Oh, um, my God. I just. And so he answers the phone. He's like, what's going on, sweetheart? And she's like. I am craving sex. <laughs> he's, like, he's like, oh, you're going through that stage. Okay. Uh, so they're having this conversation, and, you know, she st- he asks her, like, what does she want? And she's like, you mm-hmm. know what I want. And she's remembering what he had done to her before. By the way, Marcus sounds like a impeccable lover. Oh, um, he sounds like he would be great in I bed. feel like it too, man. Even even if the guy that is the character, the actor or whatever, is shorter, I'd still I'd still do it. Um, I feel like I feel like he, he has a he, he. I feel like he'd be good. In I Pico. agree, a hundred percent. So he's got that face. He does. It's the earring. It is the earring. I I'm a earring. little attracted to him. Uh, even though his character mm-hmm. in the show has dark hair, and in a character in the book has like blonde, like surfer color, like surfer kind of vibe. I know, very different. Oh, weird. I know. Either way, I'm like, hell yeah. Uh, so, yeah. Francois interrupts. She calls Marcus. Uh, they do a little bit of dirty talk. And at one point, he's like, talk- they're talking. And she's like, I literally could kill. Phoebe's like, I could literally kill every single woman you have slept with. Every single lover you've taken. And he's like, well, first of all, most of them are dead. He's like, she's like, not Veronique. And I'm like, fuck, I hate that name. Um, and she, yeah, this, this woman is like still living in Paris. And he's like, yes, but you know her. You've met her. You're not going to kill her. And she's like irritated, which is another sign of her like being a newborn. She's like, I'm fucking right. Fuck, Don't kill yourself. Don't kill yourself. That'll ruin the trip. <laughs> I might. I might. Um, so anyway, they have this moment. They, they hang up, blah, blah, blah. And he's. Basically, mm-hmm. they're, like, counting the days again till they can see each other. So, also in, also during this time, Matthew continues – Matthew? Marcus continues to talk about his life in the past. So, in, like, mm-hmm. 1781 or 1789, because I didn't look it up still and I just have question marks next to it in my notes, um, Marcus is laying in this camp, like, dying. And one of the things he says is he's like, I have been trying to be um, – drink water but like nobody has come around with a ladle in like forever and so matthew stumbles upon him with this guy who marcus recognizes as the soldier who was near him in 1775 who got killed and he's like holy fuck what the fuck um And so Matthew comes around. He's like, holy you shit. You a day over 1775. Exactly. So um, <laughs> Matthew comes around and he's trying to feed Marcus this water. And Marcus is literally, mm-hmm. like, his body is rejecting it. So, like, Marcus is on the verge Ugh. of death. Um, yeah. Matthew asks Marcus if he wants a second chance at life. Maybe he could go to medical school, you know, be a surgeon, all that type of stuff. And Marcus agrees to this, but he doesn't really understand what he's agreeing to. Um, Mm -hmm. and even when he's been turned into a vampire and he and Matthew are traveling across America, uh, in those like first, however many days, I want to say it's like 30 days. Um, Mm -hmm. 
Marcus has to be repeatedly told that he, like, has to feed on blood. And he eventually figures out that he's a vampire on his own. And you're like, how the fuck? I love, I love, like unintentional denial oh, right uh <laughs> the funny thing is is that they talk about so like with phoebe um so we get into this whole thing with phoebe about like who she gets to like drink from like as a human but like when marcus mm-hmm. is like feeding across i think he's going yeah. up towards canada he's feeding off of like soldiers yeah he got that sweet maple blood nah. yeah he's feeding off of uh <laughs> like british soldiers who are deserting the war because now it's the end of the war um he's feeding mm-hmm. off of like criminals people that were most likely mm-hmm. going to die anyway like be put to death or like deserve it is what matthew kind of says um yeah. and it's just this weird little concept but anyway eventually matthew and marcus end up I, again, I want to say, I think that's the last time I was in Philadelphia, but I'm pretty sure now that I'm thinking about it, it's most likely in Massachusetts or New York, somewhere along that, those lines where you mm-hmm. can get easily onto a boat because they stumble upon Gallo Glass. And Matthew's like, here, take this child and take him to France and let him meet his family mm-hmm. and I will come mm-hmm. eventually. And you're like, Matthew, <laughs> bad parenting. <laughs> Bye-bye. But apparently this is like common. Uh, so Gallo Glass is like, holy shit, I gotta take care of somebody. So for like the next mm-hmm. however many days, he's on this boat. I think it's like 30 more days. Um, that sounds about right. Like it would take a month to get across during that I time. Have no frame of reference. In my head, I'm like, a week. Right. <laughs> like every time. Because I'm thinking like cruise ships. Speeds. I know. But this is like sailboat. Sails. Uh, yeah. and, and though Gallo Glass is a fast sailor. I don't think he's that fast. Um, but while on the boat, this is why that thing with Phoebe came up again. Because while on the boat, Matthew, or not Matthew, Marcus mentions that he was having those cravings. And it was so weird because so many of the men on the boat. Oh, yeah. Cravings. So, so many men on the boat were like doing stuff. And he was like, this is uncomfortable as hell. Because uh, like he was still, he that's what he was craving, right? Uh, and he's like, I'm not mm-hmm. doing that. So anyway. Oh, so he's straight, straight. Yeah. Although his character could probably also be like, bye. We could all honestly high gay vibes. I f- I feel like TV Marcus could be bi. Book Marcus is maybe. Straight. Who knows? Who at this point? Who cares either way? Because honestly, we have a goddess that's bisexual, and her name is Freya. Freya. So they get to Freya. France. Galaglass mm-hmm. deposits Marcus with Freya, who's like known at this point in time as Aunt Fanny. And while he's there, Freya is like, I'm going to teach you how to be like a vampire. Like before you meet your grandfather, I'm going to teach you how to like, mm-hmm. you know, respect him and like all this stuff. And he's also like, see, because he's very American, very American compared to them. He like bows all the time mm-hmm. to people and they're like, no, 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 you're a de Claremont. You don't bow to the servants. That's not what you do. And he's like, I'm yeah. sorry, this is who I am. Um, so one of the, my favorite parts is that during, like, the first couple of days that he's with Freya, he's, like, he sees this woman in her house, and she's like, oh, please bring her to my bathtub. I'm going to I'm gonna feed off of her. We're going to do stuff. And Marcus is like, wow, she's beautiful. And, he's, and Freya's like, you can have her later. I'll send her up. And I'm like, Freya! Oh, my, my goddess. God, what a queen. I love what a her. goddess. Uh, 
We love a sex positive queen. Yeah, so eventually also she takes him to a brothel. She's just like straight up. We're like, she's like, we're just going to go to a brothel. And he's like, dope. Um, dope. Also, Freya's friend Marie, who's also a vampire. She comes to help Marcus learn how to like be a vampire. One of the things that they do is like teach him like fencing. They try to teach him like Latin and French so he can like speak to Philippe and Isabeau because basically they know like every fucking language and French is like where they mm. are. So it makes sense. French is where they French are. French is the where they are. French. The land of French. Frenchland. I was on Tinder today and a guy said he was from Upland. And I think his intention was for somebody to be like, what's up, Land? And to be like, nothing much. What's up with you? <laughs> like, you know what yep. I mean? And I was like, what the fuck is up, Land? I didn't say it. I didn't swipe him right because I thought he was stupid. But <laughs> uh, So eventually, <laughs> Isabeau and Philippe meet Marcus. Uh, Marcus gets, like, the whole rundown about, like, vampire lore, like, the congregation, all that shit. Mm-hmm. Um, and he starts to see Philippe as this authority figure. And once again... There's this clash because, like, even with Matthew, he was. It's hard pressed for him to be under the thumb of somebody else, especially with his father. Right. And he's this huge, like, equality and libertarian type of person. And one of like mm-hmm. the cool things about this is like, in the other books, we got little snippets of like we had like the commonplace book from Diana with the zodiac signs. We had mm-hmm. um, these different parts that were in book two. Well, this is like sectioned off a little bit by. Uh, Common Sense, the book that Thomas Paine wrote. Yes, and Thomas Paine wrote. Marcus yeah. has had, like, his original copy for years at this point. And mm-hmm. he's had it rebound while he's been in France. And, like, it's just all of these things that, like, add to Marcus's revolutionary character. Like, that type of style person. Yeah. Um, so, eventually, Marcus begins this relationship with Ronique. She's another vampire. Um, Ronique? Veronique. Oh, I thought you said runny. No, runny would be like better. Runny, no. Runny, runny would be better. Uh, so mm-hmm. they have this relationship. He also is friends with this demon who plays a crucial role in the French Revolution. If I could remember his fucking name, I would tell you. Um, but he, this guy, this demon wants revolution for France. Like he wants the people to revolt. Yeah. I mean, of course that's gonna happen. But at this point in time, it's like in the early, it's know. in the early stages. So Marcus's mm-hmm. loyalty is tested because he's that's his personality, right? That's how he feels mm-hmm. about I think everything. Um, but being a Declaremont, where you are a like um, you're an aristocrat, I almost said aristocrat again. Yeah, uh, aristocrat, <laughs> you have this type of power that you're supposed to uphold, and Marcus does not fit that you know bill. So Matthew shows up and he's like, "You need to stop being friends with this demon." Um, and Marcus really doesn't listen to him, but eventually Philippe sends, shows up and he's like, listen, you got to go. You and this guy, this guy's going to be hunted. Because it's like over like a span of a couple of years that this is all happening. Mm-hmm. Um, and he's like, this demon is being hunted by the people here in France and you guys have to go. So just like go back to, go to London. It'll be fine. Yada, yada, yada. Mm-hmm. So they go to London. He's only there for like a short while. Um they come back, and for whatever fucking reason, you meet Dr. Guillotine, who's, like, the maker of the guillotine. Again, you meet mm-hmm. these characters. You also meet, like, Thomas Paine. Like, he meets Thomas Paine in France when he's yeah. with Lafayette again. And it's just weird because I get why. They're just not super important to the storyline in terms mm-hmm. of, like, eventually we're going to get to the point where you, you see Marie Antoinette, her, like, obituary is in the paper. Or, like, the day that she died mm-hmm. is in the paper. And um, you know it's by a guillotine, but that's the only reason right. why we're talking. And Dr. Guillotine even has this whole point about why he wants to make the guillotine, which is to 
kill criminals more humanely. Yeah, than hanging, because hanging's fucked up. Or the swords, which can also go very wrong. Also, firing squad. What? Firing squad. Can go wrong, too. Yeah. There's a lot of different... I'm, I'm not I'm not a fan of the death penalty. There's a lot of different methods mm. that we've done throughout the years that can go horribly wrong. The only one that I think actually has worked one of the best is, like, the lethal injection. But even that... I know. Oh, I know. I've seen on. those. It's... I've not seen those, but I've heard of those. <laughs> yeah, yeah. You know you know the tales yeah. of... Of Flanagan Ryder. Mm-hmm. Uh, sorry. <laughs> his name isn't Flanagan. Dude, he literally talks about this book. The reason why his name is Flynn Rider is because he remembers the book from his story, which oh, is the tales yeah, of Flanagan Rider. But, but, but the character isn't named Flynn. Of course, I know he's my favorite. Eugene Fitzgerald. He's my favorite character. He came also down my and went a fucking bubble, dude. <laughs> <laughs> she's, she's what's her sister? A princess. The Wicked Witch of the East, bro. Anyway, so, um, it's France. It's like the like we're getting really close to the revolution, like we're the where the people are about to like rise up, mm-hmm. and um, Marcus, his family comes. Yes, Marcus's family comes, and Philippe is like, listen, uh, do you know what they want to do to us? Do you know what they want to do to the aristocrats? And I can't do it. I can't say aristocrats. <laughs> you can just say aristocrats. It's fine. Ladies don't start fights, but they can finish I, them. Marie is an icon. Okay, so back to this. Uh, so Veronique basically is like, hey, like, I'm on the side of the people. Because Marcus finds this the demon that was, like, with him, like, his friend. He finds mm-hmm. this pamphlet that, like, in detail describes what they want to do to the king and the queen and like the little like the little prince that they have and like all that shit mm. and he's like this is sick like i don't want the this is wrong. like i don't want the prince and the king and all them to die but like i just don't want them in mm-hmm. power i don't want them to have the power that they have where they're ruining the people's lives i don't want them to die right. and veronique is like this is what we have to do in order to do this and he's like no this is not what we have to do yeah and so they have there's always a better way exactly and so they have this huge fight and he's like come with me he tells her he's like come with me to london like be with me and she's like you would not ask me that if you knew like if you actually loved me and i was like this is like a horrible situation right now um so eventually he does leave uh he leaves her there he leaves the demons there as we know the the friend the the people rise up and uh Mm -hmm. they do end up killing the king and the uh queen marie antoinette yep I want to say, I know that they are, like, they're trying to form their own party at this point, right? The people are trying to form their own party. Mm-hmm. But I know that, like, yeah. Marie and I think Louis is his one of the Louis. One of the Louis of the 18,000 that they have. She was married to um, King Louis the... 16th. 16th yeah so i knew i know that they have a daughter a lot of children dude. they have a daughter who's like married off somewhere else and i think she's like a de facto queen for the people when they get yes when they get when they get Mm -hmm. killed regardless marcus goes to france she got married she got married into royalty and uh yep i knew that because she's part of the Habsburg family then right yes Mm -hmm. i just looked this up so i that's why i know i I don't know this off the top of my head everyone um, so eventually, they, you know, Marcus leaves. He's in England for, like, a very short period of time. He reads the paper. He sees Marie Antoinette has been killed. Um, yada, yada, yada. So in the present, Phoebe goes out. She's, like, 30 years, 30 days old now. 
Uh, she goes out for the first time with Miriam's mate's son, Jason. Okay. Yes. Uh, so Jason goes out with her. The first outing goes pretty poorly. She has this thing where they call it, it's like light struck where the light is so powerful that it like sends you into a frenzy and she attacks a Taurus. Um, luckily for mm. her, Freya was like following them. She's <laughs> like a police officer and she mm-hmm. like kind of disputes the is. whole, uh, situation and Freya's like I've been a part of the police since female have been females have been allowed on the force and I was like yes Freya yes my queen oh yes so a little while later um Phoebe and Jason try to go out again and this time it's so Phoebe can like feed on a human so this human has been like handpicked um for her to feed off of uh they're just basically the human is paid to do this like that she's done this for many other vampires and um her job is basically to just be fed and be paid and move on with her day and they're all okay with it this is like the first time we actually get this concept of human interaction mm-hmm. within the vampire yeah. world and we talked about this last the time the take um but one i think the first time freya or freya phoebe feeds on another woman another person is in freya's house and mm-hmm. they do this whole thing where phoebe like has to kneel and like she's sitting and she like is just like the humans like hum- calmly talking to Miriam because they like know each other and um Phoebe like thanks her and like it's all this like traditional ceremonious type of thing um but while she's like hunting quote unquote with Jason they're like going on for this walk um she is supposed to go and she finds the woman she's supposed to like take down not take down but like you know feed from mm-hmm. and uh yeah. she doesn't end up going through with it she's like I'm sorry Jason I'm just not hungry and he's like okay fat chance uh but yeah she bumps into her sister who is a warm blood her sister's name is stella stella is a fucking Mm -hmm. bitch uh she acts like like super entitled and when she sees that jason is with phoebe she's like oh have you given up on marcus already and she's uh, (gasps) so she's such a bitch she's like have you given up on marcus already you know he calls mom and dad every night to like see how you're doing blah 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 and she's like and Phoebe's trying to, like, hold in her anger because as a new a newborn, she's, like, still, like, really has this huge temper. She could Mick yeet her sister across And her sister's with, like, her friends, too. So, like, she really can't be. Oh, I did not yeah, know that. Yeah, she's, time. like, with her friends. And so she really can't do anything about it. One of the things that she mentions is, like, Phoebe's always the kind of person to, like, avoid conflict. But Stella, like, thrives off of drama and, like, conflict. So, like, this mm, is not surprising. Like another character I know. Right. Um, so anyway, uh, it goes, she doesn't end up attacking her sister, but it, it's a, it's a very scary situation for Phoebe because she's like, I could have easily killed her. Anyway, mm-hmm. uh, in Diana and Matthew's area of life, uh, Baldwin, Ben Volio, he shows up, um, mm-hmm. for a visit <laughs> and during which, uh, Rebecca, Becca bites his finger and prior to this, Becca had bitten Matthew's finger and this is... I guess shown as a sign of dis like when a vampire bites another vampire, it's a sign of disrespect. And when you bite your sire, mm-hmm. so like you know the, he's like the head of his family now. Matthew's head of his family now. Um, it's this. It's a bigger issue, right? It's an even bigger issue because like he's mm-hmm. like supposed to be. He's literally the alpha. So what he does yeah. is he sets Becca on the ground. Everybody leaves the room. He sets Becca on the ground, and he turns away from her. And she has mm-hmm. to apologize and beg for his forgiveness. Again, she's two, so it's not going to, like, he's not going to, like, literally do all right. this. But he's got to teach her these things so she doesn't, like, get in trouble. So him, but yeah. or her biting Deeply Baldwin again. Right. Oh, because uh, he's head of the. 
her biting Baldwin again or doing this a second mm-hmm. time is concerning because he's Baldwin basically is like, well, at least she didn't bite. She hasn't bit anyone else. And they're like, eh, eh, eh. and so they're like, OK, so <laughs> what the fuck? And Baldwin's like, yeah. she could have blood rage. Like, you need to test their blood. Diana, you need to hold out on your, what you told me and spellbind her if this is what's gonna if, if this is what she is. And this leads mm-hmm. to this whole big fight between Matthew and Diana and Baldwin and like testing the DNA or not testing the DNA. And mm-hmm. I think he's like leaves after like a couple of days and there's so this they're still kind of in this limbo from all of that and diana is in the kitchen with like the children and like matthew and like everyone's there and all of a sudden she starts to have this panic attack and she says that it's come on from what she's been learning from marcus's past and she sees these memories Mm -hmm. these like recovered memories of when she was a child and she like floated into the air to get into her treehouse and her parents freaking out and slowly her parents had been spellbinding her her like childhood until before they left where they like completely spellbound her so she Mm -hmm. has this realization she like panics so much that she ends up like flying out of the building kind of crazy um but she flies away matthew like find like lights a smoke signal for some fucking reason and she comes home and a very matthew what the fuck matthew (laughs) don't y'all have cell phones right right we all have cell phones but matthew de claremont's still doing medieval practices of smoke he says you want to know it'd work a little bit better a pigeon the griffin no a smoke signal yeah so she comes home she explains to matthew like what had happened and like what she realized Mm -hmm. and this is the moment where the two of them have this conversation about spellbinding and um testing the blood and they're like we're not doing that we refuse to have our children be half of what they are by spellbinding them because one of diana's biggest things is she was like i was half of myself for years and it, like, mm-hmm. sucks. It took torture to get it out of her, didn't Yes, it, it did. And meeting Matthew. Mm-hmm. So, like, one, her magic starts to, like, come yeah. back. It's, like, her magic was tied to need and Matthew. So, like, mm-hmm. the, her parents always knew that she was going to meet Matthew. And there's, like, one of the coolest things. Mm-hmm. I don't know if we talked about this in the other episodes. So I apologize if I'm repeating myself. But one of the coolest visuals that Deborah Harkness put in here is that Diana feels this chain. And, and when she first meets Matthew, she feels this chain that's, like, inside of her that's connected to him. And it feels rusty oh. at first. And as it gets, as they continue to be, like, more and more together, all she knows is this chain and him are connected. Like, this is how, this is how she knew that she's mm-hmm. supposed to be with him is because they've always been connected mm-hmm. like this. Because her parents kind of put this into her like, the stories that they told her, like, they knew mm-hmm. that Matthew was going to be the one for her. And it's just this really complex thing. And even in, like, book three when he's, like, dying, she's like, I know he's alive right. because I can feel this chain pulling me like, to him. And as mm-hmm. long as I have him there, mm-hmm. I'm fine. Um, mm-hmm. It's really, really cool. But anyway, um, so they decide not to spellbind the children or test the DNA to figure out they have blood rage. They eventually convince Baldwin to get on board with this because Marcus mm-hmm. basically is like, this is like this is what Philippe would have done and this isn't how things need to be run anymore. And like yeah. all of this shit comes out about Philippe. And Philippe is standing there as a ghost. He's like, you know what? He's fucking right. Like, I didn't realize the damage I was doing to my family when I was alive and I'm sorry about it. Um, <laughs> I like that he's, I like the idea that he's just lounging in midair as like a partially like see-through ghost. Just like, I mean, you're not fucking wrong. He, yeah, basically. <laughs> Uh, so after this moment, 
we get another flashback uh, to Marcus's life. Like, this is literally the, the last half of Marcus's, like, story, mm-hmm. I guess you could say. Like, the, the what made Marcus yeah. Marcus. And Marcus is in mm-hmm. England. He's with Galloglass and Freya. And he's reading the paper, and he sees Marie Antoinette was killed. And he learns that in America, yellow fever is, like, crushing Philadelphia. And Marcus being, mm-hmm. you know, had he gone to school for medical school for like a year at this point or something like that and he'd been mm-hmm. practicing medicine so marcus is like i have to go i have to help the people and galagas is like of course you fucking do so galagas goes with them and <laughs> yeah. they, he takes him across the sea and when he gets to philadelphia he finds one of his old friends from philadelphia one of the associators and this man his name is Vanderslice. he's like sick and dying <laughs> And Marcus is like, right. That was another good one that you did last time. Uh, Yeah. (laughs) Marcus is like, I can, I can give you a second chance at life. And Galaglass is like, no, Marcus, you're still like a child. Like you can't, you can't make a child. And he's like, I'm going to do whatever I want. Galaglass. And you're like, okay, great, Marcus, Mm -hmm. be a child more. Um, So he turns Vanderslice into a um, vampire. And for a little Mm -hmm. while, the okay i mean it's not really the best like so he's not really equipped to being a father and um mm-hmm. vanderslice does this whole thing where he's like they're they're betting he's betting money and he gets like really good at it they actually call him like lucky or some shit like that and so it's mm-hmm. lucky and doc because marcus is still known as doc and mm-hmm. um one day marcus comes back to their house and he sees that vanderslice is just on the steps and his throat has been slit and he's like he's bled out because nobody was there to help him Mm -hmm. and so he died and it really fucks marcus up he's like i'm never making a child ever again like he is like i'm done i have no family left like matthew doesn't want to be with me i don't like my family i i big sad right also, mind you, at this point in time, Matthew has been with Juliet for with years. Juliet. Yeah. Even like when he first meets Marcus, one of the first things that Galaglass said is, "You have letters from Ju- letters from Juliet, <laughs> letters to Juliet, letters from Juliet." <laughs> Sorry, so he has letters mm-hmm. from Juliet, or they call him Madame Zwe- Oh my fucking god, Nicole! Madame Zeroni. Madame Zeroni up the mountain. Doesn't matter. <laughs> they call her Juliet. <laughs> They carried Madame Zeroni up the mountain. Mademoiselle, that's what I was trying to say. <laughs> that's what you were trying to it's say? It's great. I took French Mademoiselle. for a, a solid 60 days. Uh, At least it's not a dead language. Uh, but you know Latin now, so good. like, anyway. I don't know Latin, <laughs> I wouldn't say. Uh, I know of Latin. So a few years later, Marcus goes to New Orleans. And I'm sorry if I say it differently than everybody else. This is how I say it. It's okay. Uh, And he starts helping people as a doctor, and he meets this man named Ransom. And I love that name. And Ransom basically is this, like, he's kind of like a con man. Like, I don't know how else to, like, describe Mm -hmm. him. He wants to be like this big shot in new orleans and all this stuff and so ransom immediately figures out that marcus is different than other people and he's like how old are you he's <laughs> like a while <laughs> i'm just kidding <laughs> how long have you been 17 how, how long have you been 22 a while a while uh, <laughs> so eventually after many many months i think maybe like a year of begging Marcus turns Ransom into a vampire. They start to, like, have their own family. Marcus makes other children. Ransom makes children. And, of course, as we know from the other books, like, this is when shit starts to hit the fan with the blood rage and the vampires mm. because people are going missing. 
Hitteth. Hitteth. The Fanith. The So, Matthew arrives with Juliet. Still hate her, by the way. She's even Mm -hmm. more of a bitch here than she was, like, before. Because, like, she... Oh, my God. She was a bitch before. Yeah, so she (laughs) is literally... um, She's, the way she acts so entitled. I'm just so irritated by it. I'm like, you are nothing, woman. I mean, I don't want to say that about a woman, but like, I hate her as a right, person, but as a character. I mean, I mean, I know. Uh, so Marcus starts to see that his children are going missing, and eventually mm-hmm. he knows that it's Matthew and Juliet killing them. And what he says is, he's like, I knew all along that it was the two of them because you could tell whose kill was who like Juliet would be more destructive and and it looks like alligators had gotten them and then there would be others where it was more surgically done a la Matthew Matthew um yeah and it's just this whole moment where Marcus and Matthew like connect again like and we've seen that throughout the books at this point where like there's just this really good father and son like moments between Marcus and Matthew where I'm just Mm -hmm. like yes Matthew yes you're a good person anyway Mm -hmm. so thank god in the present Miriam calls Matthew. Phoebe's father Mm -hmm. has just suffered from, like, a critical heart attack. And Mm -hmm. Diana and Matthew and Marcus are like, oh, shit. And Marcus is like, I have to go see Phoebe. Like, I have to go see her. And so Mm -hmm. Matthew's like, all right, we're coming. And Miriam's like, no, 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 don't come. And he's like, no, 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 Miriam, we're coming. We're coming. So (laughs) they all go. Matthew leaves it up to Marcus to decide what to do. Like, he basically they get towards the hospital, and he's like, okay, um, He's like, okay, Marcus, what do you want to do? Do you want to go see Phoebe or do you want to go check on her father? He's giving him the two options. He's like, you're an adult. You got to make your choice. You're technically mm-hmm. not supposed to see your mate for however long. Um, and it's still like, I think there's still like 30 some odd days out. She's like 60 days yeah. old at this point. Um, and mm-hmm. Marcus. And 90 is. 90 is when they're good to go. Yeah. Um, mm-hmm. So Matthew. Is like I'm letting you do this and make your decision. And Marcus decides I'm going to go see Phoebe. Matthew, you go please check on her father. You're you're just as much of a doctor as I am. You'll understand what's going on. Mm-hmm. So Diana and Marcus go to see Phoebe, and Miriam is literally like standing on the French porch, and she's like, "You can't go in." And and he's like, "I have to go see her, Miriam. Like, please let me through." And so Miriam lets him through, and Diana's like, "You knew he would come," and he's like, "How could he not?" And I was like, "Oh God." Oh, that, my, this, this part, when you told me the other day, my heart, you know that TikTok sound where it's like, my heart went, my heart went, went, oops. (laughs) Yeah. Uh, That's exactly, that's exactly right. So there's this whole thing now where in, that's so cool. It's picking up the page turning as I'm doing it. Um, Ah, I was like, I can't hear it. I know. So (laughs) as they're. As they are talking to Miriam, right? One of the things that, like, Marcus says is, or I think Diana, it's from Diana's perspective. Diana's like, mm-hmm. the, she forgets that the female has to choose the male in this situation. So when they get there, you know, Marcus is, like, ready to, like, floor, like, you know, run to her. And he yeah. can't uh-huh. because, like, she has to choose him. Regardless of their 90 days are up yet, like, they have not seen each other since she was human and things have, could have changed. So that's the whole concept behind mm-hmm. this like 90-day rule or whatever. So yeah. I'm going to read like this little part for you because I know you liked it last are time. Are in charge. I did. I so um, Diana goes, you knew Marcus would come. I said softly to Miriam. Miriam nodded. How could he not? 
Marcus rushed towards Phoebe, then stopped, remembering that it was the female who must choose and not the male. He gathered his composure. Phoebe, I'm so sorry, he began, his voice raw with emotion. Matthew's with Edward now. Phoebe was in, his, was in his arms with a speed that proved just how young and inexperienced she was. Her arms tightened around Marcus as she sobbed out her worry and fear. It was the first time I'd seen such a young vampire, and the sight was dazzling. Phoebe was like the like freshly minted coin, strong and shiny. There was no way a human would stop and stare if she passed by in a Parisian catwalk, let alone a hospital corridor. How were we going to get her into Edward's room, glowing with so much life and vitality? Then she says... If he dies, I don't know what I'll do, Phoebe said. Her blood tears flowed more once more. I know, sweetheart, I know. Marcus murmured, her fingers laced through her hair and her body cradled against his. Fuck him, man. He's so cute. Oh, my God. <laughs> okay. So. Mm. Um, Emotional intimacy. Sexy. Sexy. Hot. Sexy. Sexy. <laughs> so, um, so, basically, here's what happens they mm -hmm. diana puts like a like a glamour type of like shadow type thing over phoebe so she can get through the room mm -hmm. um they go to yeah. see her father it doesn't really go well per se because like he is in critical condition they say that he's gonna have to have surgery and stella her sister is there and she's like phoebe you can the change bitch. this you can you can turn him into a vampire and phoebe's like mm -hmm. no i can't like i can't do that and none of the other vampires are like yeah we're not doing that fuck no um mm -hmm. and Stella like starts to try to tell the doctors this and they're like no 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 shut up we're gonna take you away no, 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 you can't you can't. <laughs> we're gonna move you out Stella here. sounds like the dumbest bitch in all the she's land. also like going through a lot since her father's like on the verge of death um yeah but she was a bitch before oh too. no I agree uh so eventually they leave they leave I think Stella and her mom with Freya and then Phoebe goes back to Septor with with Diana and Matthew and Marcus um once they get there Isabel's like yeah no Marcus you gotta stay away like you still gotta you still got 30 more days like you gotta stay away uh which Marcus is like fuck <laughs> off <laughs> uh anyway why do you wanna do this right and the the cool thing here is that like Isabel and Marcus like do their little like walk around and like they have like, not Isabel and Marcus Isabel and Phoebe to like walk around Phoebe. the like Septor together and they have these like cute little garden walks and shit and she learns a lot more about Isabel then and one of the things that she says is she starts pointing out like different rooms and one of them is the room where mm -hmm. Diana and Matthew had their wedding feast and she says to Phoebe like maybe you and Marcus could have your thing here when you guys do tie the knot and I was like ah Isabel I'm ready to read these books just for Marcus and then just for Phoebe. I love it. I love that for you. I, I'm, I'm ready to rumble. Uh, okay, go so on. So when she hits 90 days, Baldwin comes because mm -hmm. he's technically, even though Matthew's the head of his family, Baldwin's like the head of the head of the family. Yeah. <laughs> uh, Miriam comes as well. They're going to do this formal like mating stuff. It's like this traditional bullshit thing and I'll read it to you in just a mm -hmm. second. Um, and this is where Phoebe gets to like be with Marcus. So here it is. So, um, they start to do this whole ceremony, and there is a point where Baldwin is literally like, all right, he goes, excellent, let's get started. <laughs> uh, Baldwin said, Miriam, do you consent to your daughter's decision to mate with Marcus, a member of my family, and the Bishop Claremont family, son of Marcus, Matthew de Claremont? Are you actually going to go through the entire betrothal ceremony, Miriam demanded? That was my plan, yes, Baldwin glared at her. <laughs> I, that's such a Benvolio move. You wanted it to be official. Wait, don't we need Marcus to be here before we go any further? Phoebe asked. Where is he? Her anxiety rose. What if Marcus had had second thoughts? What if he decided he didn't want her now? 
I'm right here. Marcus stood just over the threshold wearing a blue shirt, blue jeans, and sneakers with a hole in the toe. He looked handsome and slightly mischievous as he always did. And he smelled divine. Freya was with him, though. Oh my gosh. Freya was with him, though. Phoebe had to tear her eyes away from her mate just to give her aunt a proper hello. His aunt. Fuck, I did that wrong last time. Jesus. (laughs) Hello, Phoebe, Freya said, beaming. I told you we would make it. Yes, Phoebe said, her eyes fixed on Marcus. Her throat felt dry, and she had to struggle to get the single word, that single word out. Marcus smiled. Phoebe's heart thumped in response. Her senses clicked into overdrive. All she could think was the sound of his heart beating. All she could smell was his distinctive scent. Her thoughts were only of Marcus. Her skin yearned for his touch. And just like that, he had her in his arms, lips pressed to hers. The clean sense of licorice and bee balm and pine surrounding her, along mm. with a hundred other notes she couldn't yet recognize her name. I love you, sweetheart, he mummered in her ear. And don't think you can change um, your mind. It's too late. You're already mine forever. Fucking Marcus. Be still my beating. Vagine. Vagina. Yes. Um, so they do this whole thing. They're, they're like official now, right? Like they're, they're mated to everybody. Yeah, they've DTR'd. Yeah. Um, they go upstairs. They have a moment. It's great. Mm-hmm. My thing, my favorite thing that he says, he goes, he goes, you smell even sweeter than you did before. And I didn't think that was possible. Whoa. And he says, you're even more perfect than you were before. And I did not think that was possible. I'm like, Marcus de Claremont, get out. That's so cute. Yeah. So at the end of the book now, Diana and Matthew go back to um, New Haven. They're, you know, where Diana teaches. Mm -hmm. And um, Matthew is like a visiting professor. All this stuff is happening. Um, They're. Welcome to Harvard. Sorry. (laughs) I know that's not. I know that's not the same. No, it's not. And there are people out there upset. Yeah. Just kidding. They can suck my butt. Illegally Blonde the Musical deserves all the recognition. It absolutely does. Even though they like the new the new one that comes around, they changed a lot because of some of the things that they said in it. Yeah. The original. I. It's got some things. I. I watched. I watched the MTV one that came out. Do you remember when they did that? I watched it all the time. The other day. Same. It's one of my favorites. Same. And I was listening and I was like, mm, this is not PC. Oh, no. It's much more PC now. It's much more PC now. Yeah. Um, so Matthew and Diana, they go back to New Haven with the kids. Um, they move into Marcus's mansion, the one that, like, he, Matthew, like, was like, hey, I got to go to New Orleans and you can't come with me. That same yeah. one that they were at before. So mm-hmm. they're sitting outside on the porch. And <laughs> Diana is, like, remembering all of this shit about, like, him and you know her and just like everything that had happened this summer and my favorite is what she says right here she goes i feel so protected or no that evening after chris left and the children were put to bed matthew and i sat on the wide porch that wrapped around the corner of the house and overlooked the fence garden the sky was filled with stars and the night air held a welcome note of coolness to balance out the heat of the day it feels so protected here i said glancing over the yard our own private paradise hidden away from the world where nothing bad can happen the slanting moonlight glanced off of Matthew's features, silvering his hair and adding lines and shadows to his face. For a moment, just one moment, I imagined him an old man and me an old woman, holding hands on a late summer evening and remembering when our children slept safely inside and love filled every corner of our lives. I know it can't stay this way, I said, thinking back over the events of the past summer. We can't stay in the garden forever. No, and the only true fence against the world and all of its dangers is through knowledge of it, Matthew said as we rocked in silence together. I'm just like, you wholesome little bitches. Anyway. Yep. So, next, last, literally last chapter, Marcus and Phoebe go back to um, 
his place in Hadley, which I forgot to mention. Like, Matthew bought yes. uh, a long time ago. Matthew bought his family's home, Marcus's family's home, uh, and had the Pruitts. Like, Zeb Pruitt's family had taken care of the house mm-hmm. for, like, years. He's like, I try to let them oh. be, like, you know, the caretakers of it for as long as I could. Um, and mm-hmm. Marcus is, like, super thankful about it. And so Marcus and Phoebe go back to um, – they go – no, you're Sorry. okay. They go back to – the house and he like shows her around and he introduces himself and here's where i shot my dad yeah, but here's where i shot my dad uh <laughs> how fucked up how fucked up in that conversation was uh this is where my mom and dad slept here's my sister patience room yep. but like he shows her like where her father grandfather's gun his grandfather's gun used to be and where her his mom's clock used to be and like all this like cute stuff and they just literally like one of the things that she says in the beginning of the book was she was wanting to know what Marcus's heart song sounded like because she hears hers. Her heart slows down when you're a vampire. So it sounds like it, she mm-hmm. goes, it sounds like I am period evermore. And so when she finally hears Marcus's heart heartbeat, his is just Mine is. evermore. Sometimes I feel I've got to. You didn't even hear what I said. His his heart was sounding like. (laughs) No, I didn't. Go on. I was too distracted by tainted love. His heart beat. So hers is I am evermore. And his is just Mm -hmm. evermore. (gasps) Yep. Mm -hmm. Uh Uh-huh. Yeah. Uh Uh-huh. Maybe okay will be our always. I hate this. Okay. Okay. (laughs) Okay. Okay. Anyway, uh, pizza rolls, pizza, pizza rolls. <laughs> so the book ends. He like t- he, he meets the neighbor. He tells them that it's Marcus McNeil and Phoebe and him are supposed to like live happily ever after. And it's a really cute story, y'all. Cute. Let's talk about why I hated cute. this book though. <clears throat> after all that. Uh yeah, so let's talk about why I hated this fucking book. <clears throat> I didn't hate it. I shouldn't say that. Uh, I gave it a three out of five, but here's the thing. Getting mm-hmm. to see the characters again and learning about the children, all that stuff was great. Like, I love that part of it. I love seeing mm-hmm. this world be built again. And Deborah Harkness does a fantastic job with all the history and research that she does. The problem that I really get from this is I really just didn't understand why this book is necessary in the context of the whole world setup. Like, we talked about already mm-hmm. the prophecy that needs to be fulfilled. Um, all this, all these mm-hmm. questions that I have about the twins, like what is their mm-hmm. life going to be like growing up? Does Rebecca have like powers like a witch? Is she a weaver like Diana and Philip? Like, what are they? What are Brightborns? Are we getting another book mm-hmm. like that? Who the fuck knows? Because Deborah hasn't right. said shit. Um, well, you know about we talked about the we Gallo do Glass yeah book. we know that there's a Gallo Glass book that she's been working on, which is great, and I've also had some suspicion that maybe maybe Rebecca or Philip, because I'm not going to rule that out, are Galloglass's, like, mate. And that's why he Mm -hmm. has such a strong attachment to Diane. I don't know. I don't truly know anything, because we don't know. You imprinted on my daughter? She's a baby. (laughs) She's a baby. You named my daughter of the Loch Ness monster? Monster? (laughs) So... Um, I just have so many questions. Uh, One of the other things that I had a question about is in the last book, in book three, Mm -hmm. Philippe's ghost appears to Diana and hands her back the goddess's arrow that she dropped while defeating Benjamin. And we have no fucking clue why. Which this is a symbol that the goddess is not done with her. And so this is why another reason why I'm like, what is is this setting up? 
truly now what the hell are we gonna do right now? because honestly as i'm reading this i'm like there's nothing to indicate that anything is about to be set up it just bothers me right i mean a happy ending for yeah, everybody it, but yet you know that there's more because all these like trails were being started exactly. yeah um mm-hmm. and plus like we haven't met all of his like sisters yet we haven't met stasia yet which i'd be i'd be excited for yeah. uh, and plus like i would love mm-hmm. to see more freya love it yeah um, so mm-hmm. overall, this book was just, it's just, it's just okay. Like, you know, it's just a little disappointing because I still have so mm-hmm. many questions and I have no clue when we're getting those answers, if we're getting those answers. Um, I still give it a three out I, of five, but. I feel like this, the first books were like, you know, the, the, the All Souls trilogy was like the original Star Wars trilogy. Yeah. And then, like, this one is, like, the Star Wars holiday special. <laughs> yeah. Where it's, like, there's no real purpose for it to be there. It's just kind of a fun little jaunt back with your fave characters. Yeah. Not in the same, like, dark sense as they were in before. Yeah, and we even talked about this before. And you had the same problem in The Bone Witch. But the way that it's set up was also just a big mm-hmm. problem for me. Because it was, like, yeah. every time you had a Diana perspective you would get the uh-huh. setup to let Marcus tell his backstory and then it flops over mm-hmm. to Marcus's point of view from the past told in third person omniscient and it's just so fucking weird it was just the I, I just wasn't feeling it like the other books are so good i love diana's perspective i she's my favorite mm-hmm. character outside of I, I mean i have a lot in this in this series but yeah, I was like, what? But the problem really is that like the other books are just so focused on Diana and Matthew with the occasional like sprinkle of some other perspective in there, but not for very long. This is just so mm-hmm. different from what she's written. And honestly, I want to read what somebody wrote on Goodreads for you. I'm going to pull it up because yes. honestly, this was probably one of the best ways to describe this book like ever. Mm-hmm. And I, I, I really related to this person's review. So I'm mm-hmm. going to pull it up real fast. Yeah. What was the poster's name? I don't know. Let's see. Times Convert. Oh, okay. Where are you? It's like literally like the first review. Okay. Her name is Ashley. This is Ashley's review. Mm-hmm. She goes, I'm a little disappointed mm-hmm. if I'm honest. I was happy to read it and it was nice to vis- revisit familiar characters and I and to get a deeper look into Marcus's past. But the whole 400 pages felt meandering and slightly pointless there was no danger no urgency no mystery none of all the hallmarks of the original trilogy that made it so absorbing to read it feels like a history lesson of the american and french revolutions that just so much that just so happened to include vampires the last hundred pages seemed rushed though the conclusion was satisfying at least i hope harkness decides to return to this world in the future that she can tighten up the stories and imbue them with i think she meant in bed but imbue them with a little no imbue imbue is a word with a little more of magic that was so inaugural sorry integral i don't know what to read Mm -hmm. um to the first three books and this is when somebody said that she we're getting a gallow glass book yeah, there was another person that commented on this. 100% agree. Some plot points feel unnecessary and resol- unresolved, and the whole story wasn't fleshed out in the same way the original three were. And I still have questions from the original three. So, like, what the fuck? Right. So, I know mm-hmm. I'm not in, I know I'm not in this boat alone. The minority here. Um, yeah. This book has a 3.89 
star on Goodreads, whereas all the other ones have like a 4.5, 4.6. Yeah. So you can tell that this one took a hit. Um, the cool thing about this is, is it mm-hmm. says All Souls Universe number one. So I'm like, yes. Oh. So I'm hope I'm hopeful, y'all. I'm hopeful. But that is Times Convert. That is what we have so far of a discovery of bitches. Fucking amazing. Fucking mint. Fucking mint. I mean, two great books. Well, mine was great. Yours was subpar compared to what you've gotten from this author in the past. Let's wrap this shit up. Cool. Let's wrap this bad boy up. This is, as of right now. Five hours. Five hours. (laughs) We are cutting so much. (laughs) So much. A lot of it, a lot of this episode and last episode or last two pieces have had a lot of like pauses and shit too. That'll get cut. Mm-hmm. And there's going to be bloopers. Yeah, plus, so please check out the Patreon. I, say, I, yeah, I notice that I say, uh, um, uh, um, a lot. Yeah, I notice you do too, but it helps with editing so much. I'm a big pauser and then I restart my phrase. It's really good. <laughs> I typically get all mine out right away though. So, uh huh. Regardless. Um, let's talk about the first thing that's always on the list. Please rate us on Apple podcasts. Um, Mm -hmm. anywhere that you're listening to this, if there's a rating feature, give us some love. Please do it. Share about Mm -hmm. us on, on your social accounts. Um, and tag us. We love seeing, we love, we would love to see you guys talk about us. Like that's like our favorite thing. When people have commented on our, on our, like, like our episodes, we're just so excited. Makes me so happy. Makes me so happy. Shout out to Celia. Every week, whenever we post our, like, audiogram, she's always like, oh, my God, it's Thursday. And I'm like, correct. Yep, it's Thursday. (laughs) It makes me Mm -hmm. feel good that people know that it's Thursday when we have our episodes come out. Yes. Mm -hmm. Very exciting stuff. This week has been a whirlwind. Um, We still have to post our photos tonight. I know. I know. Um, Let's see. Uh, Also, Patreon. V exciting on our Patreon. We have, uh, so it was okay. Well, so basically Nicole and I foot the entire bill for this podcast right now as to be expected, you know, at this point in time. But if you like what we do and you want us to keep doing it, uh, we have a Patreon that you can donate to it's patreon.com slash lower your volume podcast or just lower your volume. I'm pretty sure. I think it's just lower your volume. That seems correct in my head. It also is attached in the description of every episode. Um, yep. whether you're on just lower your the Apple, if you're on Apple, it's like in the episode description. If you're on Spotify, I think mm-hmm. it's at the top of that page or and in the episode description, yep, it but it's on the top of the mm-hmm. page of our like podcast. So, yep. Yep. Um, on there, we've got four different tiers with different reward mm-hmm. systems for donating at that tier. Uh, if you go, excuse me, onto Patreon, you can see all of those. They're all right there with the description of what everything is in depth i'm not going to go into it right now for the sake of time um uh yeah so if you want to donate there that'd be literally such a huge help to both of us and to help us doing what we do because um i don't know if you've noticed but books are expensive yeah <laughs> so, and madison's computer has shit on hunter so many times we're just hoping I, I, to get money I mean, to get madison a new computer <laughs> i truly my computer has said you've used me less since you started reading more. 
<laughs> it's mad about it, and so it's trying to stop this from happening. Um, yeah, so that's uh, Patreon. Yeah. Uh, other than that, we've already kind of mentioned social media, but please like and follow us on there. Um, our Twitter mm-hmm. is at LowerPod. Our Instagram is at LowerYourVolumePod. Um, please give us some love, always. Yeah. Mm-hmm. We love it. It's great. I, I love our Instagram. I think our Instagram is snatched. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, and then we also have an email. Uh, it's loweryourvolumepodcast at gmail.com. And you can send literally anything you want there, so long as it's, like, you know, not creepy and weird. Yeah, please, uh, <laughs> please don't be creepy and weird. Uh, you can send us, like, fan art. You can send You can send Santa. us. Uh, you, you can send us uh, fan casts are what I always like to see. I love fan send casts. Fan casts and fan art are, like, my favorite <laughs> things. Literally, if you were, like... Oh my gosh, another thing if you have playlists. Yes, please. For these characters, uh, hit us with the playlists. Um, literally anything. If you've read a book that we that we talked about and you want to give your opinion on it, send us an Yeah, email. if you we read this book it. and great. you said, bitch, you wrong, I want to know why I'm wrong. Yeah, like tell us. Like, respectively, the whole, the respectively, whole reason we have this please. podcast, yes, is because we like to talk about books. Yep. That's that's the Madison gist of it. and I couldn't um, actually do a book club where we read the same book every week because we don't have the same tastes. Yeah, there's the occasional. Well, there's occasional. Yeah, we have the occasional crossover. But you and I, I think we just reach for different books. Yeah, normally, even like, if we love like the stories just, we're telling each other, we just gravitate. I, towards yeah, I honestly, books. I think I think we would spend more money if we if we tried to read the same book every Absolutely. week. I just don't think it would Absolutely. work. Absolutely, it'd be because it'd be so hard to it'd hunt down all the books. Insane. It'd be a fucking, it'd be an actual fucking nightmare. Says that as but, I literally um, just ordered Onyx and Ivory. It's fine. I, yes, but but you know, and and obviously, like once you told me, I am so I am in over my head in the All Saints High, Sinners of Saint, all the LJ books. Yeah, get ready I for the standalones, bitch. <laughs> I am, I am. So so I'm I'm slowly working my way through Nicole's Panty Turner list. Yeah, that's also um, on Patreon. If you want to see all of my like recommendations, that's on Patreon. Yep. I think it's at the first mm-hmm. tier level too. You get that like automatically. Yeah, for sure. Mm-hmm. Um. Yeah. So that's very exciting stuff. We also know what we're doing next episode. If you want to drop it right I'm now. I'm so excited. So next episode, which we're recording in a few days. Uh, four, four days. days. <laughs> Madison, you'll be fine. Uh, I'm doing a. We say that because I haven't started yeah, my yeah. book yet. I'm doing A Good Girl's Guide to Murder by Holly Jackson, and mm-hmm. I'm so excited to share it with you. Mm-hmm. I am doing. I'm so excited. Drum roll, please. <laughs> the second book in the Shades of Magic trilogy called A Gathering of Shadows, so where we will revisit Kel and Lila, maybe Holland. Rye might be there. Who oh knows? Oh my god, Holland, my baby! <laughs> well, but as we remember, we don't know what happened. Yeah, he's he in the Black London. Black London. Yeah, I'm so mm-hmm. excited. Did he die? Is he alive? Who knows? I'm ready. It's gonna be great. Alright, well that's it for this week. Episode 16, I fucking hate yep, you. we'll see you next week. <laughs> Bye-bye. We'll see you next week. Bye-bye. <laughs> oh, my God. <laughs>